Episode 5 of Season 1 of Pick 6 Movies. Pick 6 Movies is a podcast where me, Bo Ransdell, and my friend of many years, Chad Cooper, compile a list of films built around a central theme. For Season 1, that theme is Turd Ferguson, a.k.a. Mr. Burt Reynolds. This time around, we have a film by the title of Sharky's Machine. This 1981 entry into the Burt Reynolds oeuvre is perhaps strangely reminiscent of another cop film, this one involving a rugged, no-nonsense detective named Harry, who might be a little unclean in his methods. So sit back, relax, and let Chad introduce to you the 1981 cop thriller, Sharky's Machine. Dar Robinson was born in Los Angeles, California in 1947, and he was fearless. Robinson grew up in the Los Angeles area, and at the age of nine, he made the cover of Life magazine for his incredible abilities on the trampoline. How did that happen? Well, Dar came by these acrobatic talents through spending many hours helping his father's gymnastic company. Dar's father, Jess Robinson, was the one responsible for the trampoline sensation that swept the United States. And Dar's natural abilities on the trampoline brought about all of the fame and glory that one would expect for a child who was really good at flinging his body with little regard for personal endangerment. How does one come to excel on the trampoline, you ask? Well, you simply love the way it feels to plan and execute a physical stunt for the entertainment of others and the sense of satisfaction you have when you don't die doing it. Robinson took his youthful daredevil tendencies and parlayed them to great effect, becoming one of Hollywood's greatest stuntmen and stunt technicians. His first noted stunt work came when he doubled for Steve McQueen in 1973's Papillon with a 100-foot jump off of a cliff into the sea. Robinson once drove over the edge of the Grand Canyon and parachuted to the ground. He set the world record for a free fall from a helicopter falling 311 feet onto an airbag. In short, he was an insanely brave entertainer. Now, Traditionally, stuntmen would jump off of high structures and land on an inflated airbag to break their fall and keep them from being dead. Robinson wasn't content to jump or fall off of things and land in an oversized pillow. Not Dar Robinson. He continually worked to improve his craft and came up with the idea of replacing airbags from high jumps with dragline cables. These allowed the stuntman to attach cables to their body, free fall at a high rate of speed, and provide a top-down view of a stuntman plummeting toward Earth without showing the airbag below. Any free fall stunt where you can see the airbag is just terrible. And it's not made any better when the airbag is written to the script to explain it away. In fact, it's worse. That's right. I'm looking at you, Lethal Weapon. Now, where can you see Dar Robinson's dragline cable death drop in action? Well, I'm glad you asked. In 1981, Robinson used this technique to fall 220 feet from Atlanta's Hyatt Regency Hotel, completing the highest freefall stunt ever performed from a building that was featured in a major motion picture. What was that major motion picture? Sharky's Machine. Starring the one and only, Burt Reynolds. Sharky's Machine was based on a novel by the same name, written by William Deal, 
who said that he had Burt Reynolds in mind when he wrote the book. Reportedly, when the book was published, three people sent Reynolds a copy of it, including novelist Sidney Sheldon and the author of Sharky's Machine himself, William Deal. Burt Reynolds took the seat in the director's chair, replacing John Borman as the film's original director. Now, Borman and Reynolds had worked together on Reynolds' first feature film, Deliverance. Borman had to back out due to the demands of post-production on the film Excalibur and recommended that Reynolds should direct the film himself. Reynolds decided to take his place both in front of and behind the camera, drawing inspiration from two of his favorite films, 1944's Lara and the Alfred Hitchcock classic Rear Window. This would be Reynolds' third time in the director's chair. The first was when he helmed the swamp action-adventure Gator, and the second one being the hilarious suicidal comedy The End. When Sharky's Machine was completed, it drew comparison to Clint Eastwood's Dirty Harry. Eastwood had since carved out a new film genre known by film critics as industrial park, bare-knuckle brawling, Nazi biker feuding, right-turn Clyde orangutan punching cinema, with the 1978 masterpiece known as Every Which Way But Loose. Reynolds reportedly told Eastwood that if Eastwood had a successful foray into comedy, it would be met with Reynolds making a Dirty Harry Goes to Atlanta-esque movie. Eastwood reportedly sent Reynolds a telegram saying, you really weren't kidding, were you, when Sharky's Machine went into production. Looking back at the box office records for 1981, six of the top 20 films were relatively serious, dramatic films. These films included the Henry and Jane Fonda family drama On Golden Pond, the military school drama Tabs, the Paul Newman courtroom drama Absence of Malice, the Russian revolutionary drama Reds, and the Olympic foot-racing best picture winning drama Chariots of Fire. You toss in Sharky's machine to round out the six, and you can see how adults in the United States were really dropping cash to go see some pretty heavy movies that year. Now, it should be noted that Raiders of the Lost Ark was at the top of the box office draw, but still, the villains in that movie were Nazis, and that's still pretty heavy stuff. It should also be noted that Burt Reynolds had not one, but two movies open in the year 1981. Now, Sharky's Machine was the 17th highest grossing movie of that year, but a little cinematic, epic, cross-country cavalcade of stars and parade of fast cars known as the Cannonball Run came in at number six. Sharky's Machine opened over the Christmas holiday against the Fred Astaire haunted spooky movie Ghost Story and Andy Kaufman's robot love story Heartbeeps and the John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd hallucinatory dark comedy story Neighbors. Sharky's Machine received mostly positive reviews. Chronic smoker and renowned film critic Roger Ebert said that, quote, Sharky's Machine contains all of the ingredients of a tough, violent, cynical, big city cop movie, but what makes it intriguing is the way that Burt Reynolds plays against those conventions. The results of his ambition and restraint is a movie much more interesting than most cop thrillers, end quote. These positive reviews were also, in part, to a pretty impressive supporting cast that made up the team of detectives that composed the machine in Sharky's Machine. This included Charles Durning, who you may remember, most famously, played the frog-leg restaurateur, Doc Hopper, who stalks and then pays an assassin to murder Kermit the Frog in the children's classic The Muppet Movie. You may also remember him as the elderly man who falls in love with a reluctant transvestite in Dustin Hoffman's comedy Tootsie, or the elegantly suicidal warring Hudsucker in the Coen Brothers film The Hudsucker Proxy. Durning had a varied career spanning roles beyond murdering stalkers, suitors of cross-dressing actors, and suicidal CEOs. Later in his career, 
Durning returned to the small screen where he teamed up with who else? Burt Reynolds on the CBS sitcom Evening Shade. Now, the machine in Sharky's Machine also included Brian Keith, who was the father of Haley Mills and Haley Mills in the original Parent Trap. He also starred as the bachelor uncle turned reluctant parent in the 1960s sitcom Family Affair. Who else made up the machine? Again, I'm glad you asked. Richard Libertini? That's right. The guy who played the mystical master who could transfer human souls from one body to the other in the Steve Martin Lily Tomlin comedy All of Me? How about record-breaking track and field athlete Bernie Casey, who also played Bill and Ted's history teacher in the science fiction time travel comedy Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Yeah, he's in there too. This thing was the machine. It's Sharky's machine. Now, a movie of this caliber surely has a high-priced prostitute at their center of the story, and it does. Domino, the classy hooker, is played by Rachel Ward. Now, Ward most famously played Meggie Cleary, in the television miniseries, The Thornbirds. The villain in our film is William Billy Score Scorelli. He was played by Henry Silva, who I think played the bad guy in 90% of all movies ever made. He's just that good at being just that bad. If you look Silva up online, you'll have one of those, oh yeah, that guy moments. Now Silva's portrayal of William Billy Score Scorelli ends in spectacular fashion, where the one and only Dar Robinson stands in for Silva and performs the epic stunt for the film's finale, where he plummets from the top of the high-rise building to a most certainly violent and presumably squishy demise. Despite Dar Robinson completing the record-setting 220-foot tall from Atlanta's Hyatt Regency Hotel, only the first few seconds of the stunt are actually seen in the finale of the film. A dummy was used for the wide shot, and to be honest, it looks pretty shitty in the film. Dar Robinson basically did the stunt again for a 1985 Burt Reynolds film called Stick, where he repeated the entire stunt, and when he did it a second time, he was firing pistols as he fell. Dar Robinson was truly an American badass. But what about Sharky's Machine? Does it deserve to be known as the Dirty Harry of Atlanta? How fabulous does Burt Reynolds' wig look in this movie? Is Domino the Hooker really worth $1,000 a night? Well, there's only one way to find out. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I present to you Sharky's Machine. All right, well, this is... Your mess, sir. I'm not taking any responsibility for this motion picture whatsoever, (laughs) but I will happily shepherd us through the ins and outs and ups and downs of of Sharky's machine. So let's uh, let's get started. Yeah, let the elevator action begin. So we start off the movie, and we get a a a great uh, helicopter shot of 1980s Atlanta. Uh, to the disco sounds of Street Life, as sung by Randy Crawford. Um, for anyone who's uh, not under the age of uh, 40, you may recognize this from Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown. For anyone under the age of 30, you don't care. We, I relate we... to this song a lot because <laughs> I play the Street Life too. I think you know that about me. We, we then immediately 
see uh, Burt Reynolds as a sharky um, walking the rails of downtown Atlanta. And, and the thing to really note about this movie is that Burt Reynolds spends as much time in front of the camera as he does behind the camera watching himself in front of the camera. There's a lot of, oh yeah, I'm going to look good here. Look at this. Put this on me. Here we go. I'm going to go out there and uh, make me look good. Uh, how's my hair look? How's my mustache look? Great. Here we go. Let's make this happen. Cutting a regal image as he marches across the train tracks and like gets framed in this underpass or whatever where he's in dead center of the shot walking uh walking down like it's high noon you know it's uh, but it but it's also i get the fact that you're introducing this is a a, a cop movie right but potentially a road cop uh movie and and let's just take two seconds uh to say sharky's machine is a pretty fucking good name for a movie i like that title a lot it's only second best to dirty harry yeah, but Sharky's Machine sounds like uh, it could also be the name of the football team from The Longest Yard. Or the villain in a Power Rangers movie. Uh, I, I love the title of this movie. When I when I hear Sharky's Machine, I think gritty cop uh, kind of drama. And I'm, I'm sort of immediately bought in. And then you see, you know, Turd Ferguson pop up and start mustaching his way through a scene and you're just like oh all right i like that when when you see sharky and he's walking down the train tracks and it's you know he's it's like like this is blue collar he's a cop he means business and then when he walks up to the warehouse he just kicks down the door and i'm like i know where you learned that Smokey and the bandit mm-hmm. when you got that beer yeah, he, he's not one for pick and lock. There, there are a couple of uh, nice Smokey and the Bandit throwbacks. Mostly it's in the treatment of women. But, well, you know, it's still uh, nostalgic. So Sharky's carrying this mystery bag in his hand. And he's like, what's in the bag? We're going to find out. Like, <laughs> there's there's no doubt of that. And during this, this intro, above and beyond the street life component, there's a whole lot of jazz flute going on in this intro. I, oh. I think that... This thing is rotten with saxophone, this whole movie. I I swear to God. There are moments where it's like, well, this is just porn music until the disco kicks in. I I think that, I don't know if it was necessarily uh, either uh, Ron Burgundy or or Peter Parker and that third Spider-Man. For some reason, my brain conflates the two as to who really ruined jazz flute the most or jumping around and dancing. But in this, it's working all over the place. They're really saying like, look, this is such a period piece and this guy means business. And then as the credits are rolling through, we get this like full shot of Burt Reynolds in all of his bewigged glory and his mustache. And it says directed by Burt Reynolds, his name by his head. And it's like, you know what? I'm helming this ship. We're going to go down a path we haven't gone down before. So let's make this happen. You, The intro you did was great, of course. And the thing that really sticks in my craw the most about uh, all of that information is him referencing two Hitchcock films as inspiration for this piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And I take personal affront <laughs> to that. I'm like, Rear Window is a masterpiece. And yes, it's about uh, being a peeping Tom, but that's kind of what the whole movie is about. And you're just using that as a plot device. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like there's no, there's none of the, the, the self-reflection of a well, Hitchcock I- film. And again, we may be getting ahead of ourselves, but when I think of Rear Window, I don't 
think of Jimmy Stewart masturbating while he's watching people across the courtyard. Yeah, 24 look, hours a day. You know what? Let's let's burn that bridge when we come to it. <laughs> Cuz there's there's a lot to unpack with that scene. But yeah, so he's he's there to meet Murray who is immediately this movie lets you know that all the secondary characters are going to be way more interesting than Sharky, who should be awesome because his name is Sharky. Instead, he is the most nothing character in this movie as he is outshined by every other performance in this film, save one maybe. But immediately Murray uh, is, he's a a local drug dealer, a 'er ne'er-do-well, Chad. And, and when he backs his car in, it takes forever. It's like a good 30 seconds. I expected his car to go beep, beep, beep as he makes his way to the drug deal. He's really, really careful to make sure that he doesn't hit anything. He's pulling into, you know, the, the correct parking spot in this, I don't know, whatever dilapidated warehouse. I don't know what it is. Train yeah. yard. I I guess it is a train yard, like the the underside of of one of the platforms or something. Who the fuck knows? This movie doesn't care where things happen. Um. And let, hold on. Let me just let me just say real quick for for everyone who hasn't seen this movie, which is everyone except for you and me and and a few of the people that aren't dead. Burt Reynolds and Burt Reynolds. I think that Murray as a character is. It's at least something. It like he is a very no nonsense businessman kind of drug dealer. So Murray is is selling him the skag, and when uh you know it makes Sharky show him the money and there's a gun in there and that's and, what's in the mystery bag. Right. It's it's money and a gun for the the drug deal, and once he shows the skag money to Murray, <laughs> Murray is like. Hey, go over there, them pipes. Lift up that one over there. Bingo, skag. <laughs> and you're like, what are you doing, man? Why are you just pocketing skag around the rail yards of Atlanta? You need to keep and- that shit on you or keep it somewhere safe. Like, you're not worried about getting pulled over because you already got a gun on you. Why are you leaving it there? Why is it such a fucking saw game to get to the drugs? And then when he gets the cocaine, he goes over and he tests it. Like, you know, they do in all movies, which, again, (laughs) full disclosure, I've never tested cocaine with my pinky before, you know, (laughs) like, like it's on my bucket list, but I haven't gotten there yet. And when he does, there are these magical wind chimes that play in the background that are like, like, oh yeah, that's the good stuff. You know, it kind of reminded me of like when Doc Brown, you know, thought about the past or the future <laughs> that you would just hear this, this chime is like, like, oh yeah, we've entered a new realm. And he's just like, oh yeah, <laughs> we're good to go now. And then all of a sudden we have another car that shows up. But before, before we get to Smiley. Okay. Let me just say one of the points of this interaction Mm-hmm. is, hey, this is good stuff. Oh, yeah, you can step on that like eight times. And I like that detail <laughs> of like, I, I can fucking baby powder this up eight different ways and still sell it. Oh, yeah, you can still get off on it. I mean, you might kill the week. He's a businessman. Right. He's, he, is, he is promoting his shit. I like not- Murray. 
He's not only selling the quality, he's selling the potential. Do you understand? Like you can take this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm not giving, I'm not giving you lemons. You take this and you make lemonade. You mean like, like you compound this into so much more. You cut it six ways and be known as the best shit in town. Do whatever you want, man. I'm just saying you got up to eight. So another car, again, very slowly rolls up and, and I was expecting it to be, I don't know, like, like, like a driver's ed teacher with a 14 year old boy who somehow tricked him, his, his, his instructor into to giving a, a pre pre lesson. He comes rolling up. And, uh, there's this, this dolt of a guy in the car and he's like, Hey, Sharky, are you all right? right. It's me. Smiley, smiley. You know, look at me. Look at my face. And my name is Smiley. Don't forget it. Wink, wink. Hey, Sharky, you're not undercover making a drug deal over there, are you? <laughs> I know you said that you were going to do that coming up. Is that today? And Sharky's just like, like you, and there's, there's a whole lot of, of, of classic Burt Reynolds improv here. Like, you know, shut up you. And then Murray takes the, the gun from Sharky's bag. He fires it. Luckily it's unloaded, which, which seems to be the plan. But also why the fuck are you going to use the skag bag gun when he has his own? He knows what's up. He's got a God killer in his pocket. I'm so, so, okay. So here's the plan. I'm going to bring a bag full of money to buy cocaine and I'm going to have a gun in the bag that's not loaded because if someone happens to take the bag and aims it at me, I don't want them to shoot me. Like it's very contrived. So Sharky runs over and he's got a gun uh, strapped to his leg because he's a street cop. Super cop Sharky. Smiley gets shot by Murray. Yes. Yeah, shot, shot well, winged or something. Yeah, he he gets he gets injured in some capacity, and at that point, you know, Murray runs off. Sharky chases Murray. Once they get out of this parking garage, train yard, warehouse, Murray shoots the engine block of a car, which immediately explodes. <laughs> it's pretty great. It's and like I, playing Doom. It's it's it blows up like Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, I this mean, movie has destructible environments. How cool. It, all I can think about is that those those two guys from Mythbusters that the, the two guys from Mythbusters were like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. That, <laughs> right. That, that would ne- that would never happen. There's there's no way that you would shoot an engine block and and it would explode like that. If only we were still on the air and anyone gave a shit about Sharky's machine, that's a full hour of our show. I would love Mythbusters to take on Sharky's machine and dispel the rumors. I would love them to just take on the films of Burt Reynolds. Oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) Just Jamie, mustache to Jamie, arms folded, looking stern, saying, this is all bullshit. Wearing red shirts and leather jackets and chomping on gun. <laughs> I could completely see that. So, so, so once the car blows up, people are running through the streets as though it's the, the end of an Avengers movie. They are freaking out. Okay. So I don't know if that was either that people in the 1980s had a, a lesser sensibility when it came to, to, public violence or if this is just a bit of an overreaction i'm gonna go with the latter as opposed to the former so murray again a black man then takes a woman let's call her stephanie a white woman hostage one of the things i really want to note about this movie is that not since maybe like like gunsmoke have i ever 
seen a piece of visual entertainment where every single bullet that's fired ricochets. Every bullet in this movie is kapow, kapow, yeah, I don't know what those little sparky things are called that make it look like you shoot something, but the budget for this film on those things was, you know... It, it, 10 per- it, 10%? 15%? It, it was half a Reynolds salary. <laughs> so, I had to give a little back. <laughs> so, so Murray takes Let's Again Call Her Stephanie, and they get on a Marta bus. For anyone who's been in Atlanta, the, you know Marta. Murray then threatens uh, to blow the bus driver's uh, goddamn brains out. And he mentioned this earlier with Smiley or Sharky. That's kind of his thing. He's like, when he gets you know trapped in a corner, he says he's going to blow somebody's goddamn brains out. And then Sharky uh, chases the bus on foot, and he catches it. Which one, if you've ever chased a bus ever... It, you never catch it. The driver slows down so that you think you're going to catch it, but you you don't catch it. But in this in this case, he does. And then, um, well, Reynolds almost gets this guy killed. But he's like, "Hey, buddy, slow down." I know the guy told you not to stop, but fucking stop anyway. And Murray uh, makes good on his promise, and indeed, I, I don't necessarily say that he he blows the bus driver's uh, quote goddamn brains out. But, but he shoots the bus driver, so the, the bus comes to a stop. And then um, Sharky gets on the bus. So we have a standoff between Murray and Sharky. And then Murray says to Sharky, quote, You ain't going to shoot me when I got this pregnant bitch in front of me. Now, let me just stop everything right now. You should never assume that a woman is pregnant. It's gauche. Even when you know she's pregnant, you don't assume that she's pregnant. Because let's take our character, Stephanie. And she's on her way to work. She gets kidnapped by an armed gunman. That's a terrible day. And when she eventually makes her way back to work, her, her coworkers are like, Oh my God, Stephanie, did you hear about the shootout downtown? Because everyone in Atlanta talks like this. And she's like, did I hear about it? I was on it. I got kidnapped. Oh my God. That must have been terrifying. It was horrible. He grabbed me. He pulled me onto a Marta bus. Even worse. He put a gun to my head. Oh, my God. And then he said, I'm going to shoot this pregnant bitch. He thought you were pregnant. He thought I was pregnant. And he called me a bitch. You can't walk back from that. You know, Murray, how about, hey, you, <laughs> you, t- you make one move and I'll blow this woman with a healthy glow's brains out. <laughs> Does that hurt anybody else? No. I mean, they get the point. Look, the point is you you don't assume that a woman is pregnant. And if, if you need any further evidence of this, you should just go watch the stand-up of Brian Regan and he'll hammer this point home like like much better than, than I ever could. But don't do it even when you're being held at gunpoint by a creepy weird police officer uh, if you learn nothing else from this show ever at least don't do that yeah so but, so what happens so sharky shoots murray in the leg right. they, like everybody then, just starts fucking firing anyway as soon as he's like she's pregnant sharky's like i'm, I'm willing to roll the dice on that <laughs> and and then when when then murray turns around and just haphazardly shoots some other guy we'll call him phil so he shoots phil and who when he does shoots the phil, total buckwheat of like oh i've been shot <laughs> 
He does. I've been shot in the arm. Oh my gosh. I'm right-handed. I can't believe I got shot in my right arm. (laughs) This is horribly inconvenient. Murray then falls into the door of the bus that's in the back. And these are important details. He falls into the back of the door because he's been shot. And then Sharky reaches up and hits the release on the door to open it. So Murray falls out. And at this point when watching this, I'm thinking to myself, if he had shot two more people on the bus and they had made equally as hilarious uh, uh, comments about taking a bullet, that this particular scene could have easily turned into a file from police squad. Oh, yeah. Well, we we forgot about the point where when he was in pursuit of the bus where he like shoulder rolls out from behind a car. You know, playing chicken with the universe and on his way to like, try to, uh, to get to this bus. And you're like, that's the dumbest cop move I've ever seen. It feels like one of those scenes that when you're looking at a movie that was made in the early 2000 or, you know, in the last, I don't know, like, like decade or so where people are making fun of movies from this era, you know, whether it's something like this or, or TJ hooker, or, you know, like the Dukes of Hazard of just sort of this, this odd physical behavior, you know, that you would, you would just shoulder roll and jump up. And it's, it, it, it's great. I mean, it's, it's campy and it's goofy, but when you really try to view it through, um, the perspective of, of a normal person behaving this way, it's just like, what are you doing? Why are you doing what would arguably be eight-year-old basic gymnastic moves at the local Y when, when someone is, is trying to shoot you with a very powerful firearm. I wonder if like chapter two of the book, Sharky's machine is called Sharky takes a tumble. Sharky does jumping jacks or Sharky touches his toes, (laughs) but Sharky's calisthenics. I I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. It's sweating with Sharky. There's the point where Murray falls out of the, uh, the bus onto the street and all the cops gather around. They're like, is he dead? And Sharky is like, I don't know. Why don't you give him a little shove there? (laughs) Sure enough. He's killed Murray. And there's that question in two questions uh, that are posed by this scene. A, is it going to be a total ripoff of Dirty Harry, which is kind of fine. The other is, is this a world with consequences for randomly shooting up a bus like Sharky has just done? It turns out that we do live in such a universe because the very next moment in the film is like him gathering his shit as he is thrown out of, I don't know, what was he working? Not homicide, right? Vice. Vice. Uh, no, he goes to Vice. No, excuse me. Yeah. So he's, he's working up in, uh, either homicide or, or he's a detective. Yeah. Whatever it is. But, but he, he gets, he gets transferred to Vice. Where they bust, quote, hookers, perverts, and flashers. Now, I don't know what happened to flashers. I remember once upon a time, that was a thing that people wore large coats and walked around and opened them up and exposed their genitalia to other people. I, I don't know if that still happens or not. Maybe. I think it, I it's become tweeting uh, like dick pics. You know, it's just like, hey, I, no muss, no fuss. I don't have to wear a raincoat or nothing. And I can still show my junk to people. Yeah. 
<laughs> so he gets, and he literally goes down into the basement, you know, of going down. And this is for losers. And when he enters into Vice, it looks like, like the room, you remember when uh, Frank Cross in Scrooged walks into the homeless shelter? I mean, everyone's wearing thick, wool overcoats and they're all like like hacking and coughing and you know just just i mean it's just it's full of just vagrants and 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 you know wackadoos it could be set designed by terry gilliam it is a half step away from brazil it, it completely is and as he walks through there Every single conversation that when you listen to is about erections, someone showing their dick to someone else. And at the very end, I think there's a conversation around a, about a guy getting an erection while looking at a fish tank. Also, thank you for the assist on this joke. You walk through this room and it's Charles Durning and Brian Keith, which is an imminent Walsh away from the salty-haired, overweight character actor trifecta. <laughs> so Sharky walks in, and uh, and we get to meet uh, Frisco, who's played by Charles Darning, who uh, we last saw soft-shoeing himself around the, the Texas State Capitol building. And then uh, we meet Papa, who's played by Brian Keith. Uh, for those who don't care, that's everybody. But this is the dad from Family Affair and the dad from the original a parent trap. But in this movie, he's really just known as the character who eats a lot of shitty food. That's his thing. He eats just like, like junk food. Yeah. And then we also meet Arch, who is played by Bernie Casey, and he's essentially, um, the black guy in it. I like him in this movie, though. I think he is playing around. I think he knows what movie he's in. He completely knows what movie he's in. I like that they take him and they sort of layer on this metaphysical, um, you know, spiritual, you know, element to him. He's but the smart far- one, <laughs> you know, like they're all kind of awful people and Arch is at least kind of okay. With with a tip of the hat to Dennis Miller, that's like being the smartest kid at summer school. <laughs> sure. Frisco is giving Sharky kind of the lowdown on these guys. And he's like, these are good guys who just didn't take any shit from upstairs. You know, they, they were live by their own uh, rules kind of cops, which sounds like people who break the rules and... Should probably be punished. If I had to, if I had to introduce these guys, I would say, Hey, there's Papa. He eats Kentucky fried chicken three times a day. And those aren't even his meals. And that's Arch over there. Which one? The black guy. And he doesn't use, he doesn't use deodorant. He rubs crystals under his arms. But, you know, as Frisco is kind of giving him the lowdown, they're just constantly like, you know, well, I always wondered where the shit flowed from upstairs, and it's down here. Yeah, this is a real shithole in a sewer, all right. And if you rock the boat, I get shit water in my mouth. And I'm like, <laughs> can we just lay off the shit talk for two lines, please? We got then, a, we got an hour fifty to go. Let's let's not turn us away from food just yet. Well, remember, Papa gives a hooker a bucket of KFC. He does. Papa has a real, and all the guys have a have a real fuzzy relationship with the hookers in this movie. It ain't fuzzy. There's look. There's a whole nother movie. <laughs> there's a movie where Papa is just eating chicken and fucking hookers on the company dime. That I kind of want to see more than this movie. Without a doubt. 
I would I would love to watch that movie because his character is such a like you know your uncle who just somehow has like a a weird trust fund or he's got he's got a gambling habit that always seems to pay off. He's he's he, pretty he just, racist. Like he doesn't care. There's a little bit of Archie Bunker to him. So so after we were introduced to the the shithole and and all of the noble low life police officers that work there, there's this there's this weird wide shot where um there's another helicopter tracking shot where we follow a high rise building for way too long. And it goes on for probably about 45 seconds. And I, as I watched, I was like, this is getting uncomfortable. And then I realized, you know, they probably just spent a lot of money to rent that helicopter and make that shot. And they're like, you know what? It's going in the movie. It costs this much money. It's going in the movie. You know, I think all the drugs were real as well, which added to the cost of the film. I uh, hope substantially. One last thing about this, like fucking Sharky comes to uh, Vice scene. This is the first time Charles Durning says, "Hey Sharky, you had a good machine upstairs." And I'm like, "The fuck are you talking about?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's the name of the movie. I get that, but I don't understand the reference. Like a Xerox machine? Like what? What is going on? And I finally looked it up because the movie never explains it. Charles Durning says it again, but it's still real vague because, again, this movie has no has no time to explain its basic premise to the audience. But a machine is just a group of guys, apparently. So Sharky's machine is, you know, as, as you alluded to in the intro... It is it is the gang that he's with. The good machine ups, he had upstairs is the good group of guys, his, his detective pals, and now this is his new machine. But if the movie's called Sharky's Machine, why don't they make a bigger deal out of that? Well, I think by the end of it, you know, much in the same way that they don't explicitly explain why they're called the bad news bears, by the end of it, you're like, oh. They're kind of a machine. Although at the end of this movie, not to get up ahead of ourselves, this machine gets riddled with bullets and there isn't a whole <laughs> lot of it left by the last frame of this film. Yeah, there's a really bad off screen death in this movie. There's quite, a, yeah, there's quite a few that they, they reference, that they reference it. But, but again, I, yeah. as always, we're, we're getting, getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> there's so, so, so much we crap. <laughs> So, so we have this, we have this long, uncomfortable helicopter tracking shot that's, that's really included, uh, in my opinion, for, for, for budgetary purposes. And we go in and we see this guy on this, this rotating circle bed and he's with a hooker and they're smoking what I assume is cocaine. I think it's opium because she looks a little Chinese. We need to talk off air about that. And then this, <laughs> this, this, so this guy comes in into the hotel room or whatever they're in. <clears throat> And he shoots the guy in the chest and it's brutal. Boom. He's gone. But then the hooker is right beside him and she sits there. She doesn't move. She doesn't blink. She's not surprised. She doesn't move at all. And it's, it's really weird. Like what is going on? And at first when I saw this, I was like, she's not deaf, but then you're like, wait a minute. She's blind. And so it's this, it's this Asian woman and she's blind and she's kind of doing that, that Mr. Magoo thing. Yeah. You Is mean? someone there? I, right. I can't, I can't hear see. anyone. What's, uh, huh? And so she's kind of looking and then it might, man, again, my head was like, Oh, so they killed this guy. And because she's a blind hooker, she will be left alive because she can't see anything. She never saw anyone. And this is going to be an integral part of the story. 
wrong, she immediately gets shot by our, let's call him, assassin. Yeah, Henry Silva shows up, welcome to the movie, and like goes up to her and is like, and then that's a fake Italian, and then shoots her in the head. (laughs) And I'm like, oh yeah, Code of Silence. That's kind of the movie I wish I were watching right now. (laughs) And... So he whacks them, and we cut immediately from that to, like, a marching band, and we get our reveal of uh, Hodgkins, who is a dude who is running for governor. Uh, he's at a uh, this rally. He is doing a real Howard Dean kind of, yeah! We're, yep. You know, I, <laughs> I was like, he would never last a second in today's climate. I'm relatively, you know, politically aware. And, and I, but I've never been to a, a speech like this before. But however, however, having watched this film, Sharky and Papa and Arch, again, Papa likes to eat food. Arch uses crystals instead of deodorant. They're at this outdoor rally. And why? Because, quote, certain individuals are here offering to perform sex acts for money. And there are two of the greatest bunny fur coat wearing prostitutes just lingering a crowd of, of how many people would you say, Bo? There's maybe like what, a couple hundred people? And oh, they're easy. just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if that, it looks more like a county fair pie contest. And they're just hanging around looking to give people hand jobs or blow jobs or whatever job that they want. And then Papa and Arch tell Sharky that he's got to go over and he needs to arrest Mabel. Fan which is favorite e- is is the least sexy hooker name ever. It's the it's the, the absolute worst. So Sharky goes over and he sees Mabel, and Mabel is reading a book by Karl Marx. And when I saw that, I'm like, just stop it. Yeah. And you know, she's like some politically active prostitute who's I don't know got her own social views. And I, but here's the thing: if she's if she's a huge fan of Karl Marx, then would she be charging for for blowjobs and handjobs, or would she just be giving them out for free? You know, hey, she's stuck in a capitalist society. She's an idealist, but a realist, man. You know what I mean? You either stand on your principles or you stand for nothing. So <laughs> It's so true. There are so many idioms that would work for Mabel. <laughs> so Mabel ends up going downtown. Sharky, you know, rattles around. She smacks him or something. And then uh, she goes down. And, and, and in this, like, she gets thrown in the clink. And in this weird, like, mad lib. The cage, impro- they call it. Yeah, I love yeah. it. She's she's spouting off about unequal treatment of people across the socioeconomic backgrounds, and then she sees um Percy, and then she just loses her shit that that he's gonna kill her. And here's the thing: I've watched this movie twice, and I'm still not clear who Percy is. All right, here's my theory, and and this is a good time to once again point out the movie should explain this, and it never does. No. Doesn't. But I think what it is is that Percy is the high end pimp that is essentially acts like providing access to the girls on the other end of those phone numbers. Because okay, we, you know, let's it, just say that. For, for, look, because the majority of the people that are listening to this have never seen this movie and they don't give a shit. And so, Percy, and let's just say, let's just say Percy's their pimp. And or something, and she she freaks out, and we'll connect some dots later to have this make sense. The, the important the important part is one: the movie doesn't explain it ever, having watched it twice. Right. And then per- I had Percy to invent li- fan fiction of who <laughs> Percy was because all you know is he left his shit there, and it somehow connected to other things. 
It's terrible. I mean, again, I've watched, and I, when I say I watched this twice, I watched this twice. Are you, I mean, are you telling me Roger Ebert lied that this is not the edgy, d- dirty, hairy in Atlanta film that we all needed? No more heroes, man. I get it. Percy leaves behind his money and his address book for some reason. And there's a list of names in it. And the list of names all have seven letters. And this group of, 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 of encyclopedia, in, encyclopedia brown detectives figure out that they're all phone numbers related to the, the letters. As soon as I saw this, I was just like, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> they make the movie tries to make it seem like that is a really smart thing that they do. And just as a human being that's ever dialed a phone number more than twice, you're like, oh, yeah, seven. they all have seven letters, huh? That sounds like a phone number. Maybe Percy is just Bugs Meanie as an adult. And he he puts together very simplistic crimes in the, the effort to help detectives feel better about themselves. He, he changed his name from Bugs to Percy and started peddling flesh. <laughs> he was on the road. He was on the road. <laughs> he was surprised by any of this. So they immediately ask for uh, wiretaps on all of these phone numbers, and they get wiretaps on six out of the seven, but they don't get one on the name Domino with an E for yeah. those uh, playing at home. It's protected. And then, well, Shockey it has said, to be seven letters. And well, our, and it's also important to point out here again, the movie doesn't explain this very well. But one of the reasons that they, yes, they can get six wiretaps, but they don't need one because one of those phone numbers is the prostitute, the blind prostitute we saw get, get shot. I uh, see. I didn't even think about that. I thought that they had six. And then seven, and then they said Domino's protected because we later find out that she's having sex with the guy running for governor. And then that's why. Well, Frisco then says, oh, you got five. Because oh, I, okay. I stopped the movie there. It was like, what the fuck? You got six. Why would you do that? I don't know. <laughs> this is so much math. Like, you got seven, but one's gone because she's dead. Either that uh, or it, they flubbed the line and no one bothered to sh- shoot it again. And I'm right. again creating fan fiction to <laughs> explain how this movie ought to operate. So, Sharky, when, and here's the thing. There are so many moments in this movie where, you know, you, you we've seen time and time again uh, movies where police officers, you know, operate outside of the law. You know, they're, they're kind of creating their own rules that they're, you know, you know, one more time and, you know, they're going to lose their badge, but they, they get these, uh, wiretaps and Sharky's just like, yeah, you know what? I know a guy who'll do this illegally. Like, like nothing that they're going to capture yeah. is going to be admissible in court. This is, this is the kind of stuff that's just more disturbingly perverted than it is, you know, sort of like dancing around the fringes of legal uh, acquisition of, of, you know, insights and information that may help to solve a crime. Yeah. It, it's not tough guy behavior. It's just criminal behavior. Like, like <laughs> Dirty Harry is a fun character because his problem is with the brass, always trying to keep him shackled. Because when he runs into a punk, he just wants to give him what for. And I think is how the first one was advertised, in fact. <laughs> Sharky, 
Sharky, on the other hand, is just like, hey, you want to listen to this prostitute? I know a guy. No courts or nothing, man. And it, and it sets the stage for his immensely creepy behavior in a minute. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing of like, like you need some painkillers? No. You want a white kid? No, I don't. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, like, do you want to see a snuff film? Who are you? <laughs> no, I don't need any of these things. I know a guy. I'm sure you do. I'm going to go sit on the other side of this bus, sir. One of the most uncomfortable things that has ever happened to me in my life is when uh, my neighbor in an apartment building uh, at one time, uh, I just happened to be chit-chatting with him late, later in the evening, say around 9 p.m. And he says, hey, uh, you ever, you know, party? And I was like, no, no not really. He's like, because I'm real boring. But he uh, he said, well, if you ever need anything, I can get anything you want. And I was like, fuck. Now I got to live with that knowledge. Not like it's a temptation. It's just like at some point, fucking police are going to show up and it's going to wake me up and I'm going to be pissed off. For me, my mind would race of like, how far could I go with like, if you need anything? You know what I mean? Like, I'd knock on the door and be like, like could you get me a guy named Daryl? How about you just turn the clock back about two minutes before you told me that and let's go about our <laughs> evening? So, so we then cut to Sharky and he goes to visit his friend, uh, uh, Nosh in his house. And there is this, this, um, awkward comedic juxtaposition that happens here. And let me just say, we've seen a lot of Burt Reynolds movies. And um, one thing that I've realized is that Burt Reynolds, as a director, and I think as an actor, and maybe as a person, um, is is cut from the cloth of someone who thinks they're funny and thinks they know what's funny, but it's not funny. And it's not an absence of having a sense of humor. It's just the fact that like what you're doing, it, it's not that it's offensive or wrong. It's just at its core, not funny. And as, as one of many pieces of evidence, this scene falls right into that because we cut to this character, Nosh, who is screaming, fuck you asshole. You know, this is my house. And he's, he's screaming and yelling at Sharky. And then we see that his adorable little girl is in the background and the juxtaposition of this is really meant to be like, Oh, this is funny. This guy's been swearing and cursing, whatever. And there's a kid there, but it's not, it feels, you know, has, it has more roots in, in just kind of like, like bad parenting than it does this being really funny. And it's, it happens again later with Nosh. There's a gag about like, Hey, you remember like Rosalie, what's her face from high mm-hmm. school. And it's the same gag. Essentially. It's that juxtaposition of like, all right, I'm going to build and build and build. And in this case, it's, you know, you motherfucker, you and, and him losing his top at this guy. And to paraphrase the young ones, there are previously under undiscovered tribes in the Amazon that can see this joke coming. And so it's not funny. Comedy is sometimes about surprise. That's kind of what some of those jokes are meant to do is like, oh, let's let's 
build this moment up and then cut back to reveal a larger setting that makes it funny or a, a, just a, a, a grander situation that puts this in a different context or anything instead of just, all right, what do you need me to do? But it's still nice to see Fletch's editor in movies. <laughs> it reminds me of other better films. Whenever, whenever I see uh, uh, this actor whose name eludes me right now, all I think is back and bowl. Back and bowl. Um, oh, geez. Yeah, I forgot he was that guy. He brown-faced so, it up a little. So so this little girl, his daughter, who, who – look, there's no way this little girl came from this actor's loins. But she's <laughs> – th- the greatest thing about this little girl is that she's the only – actor or excuse me actress in this movie that um is aware that this movie is taking place in the city of atlanta she is doing her best forrest gump jr southern accent impersonation and when i heard it i was just like oh yeah this movie's in the south because every single actor in this movie is from the bronx or from los angeles or from chicago there is nothing about this movie that is southern fried at all and it should be it should be yeah they're like sharky himself should have a southern accent or something but no it's all like the reason we do the like new york accents for this movie is that's how everybody talks in this movie like aside from the fact that it is set in georgia that everything else you could substitute new york locations for this and it would be a new york movie there is nothing atlanta about this no, it's location agnostic. It, it does not matter. So then we see his, we see Nash's daughter and he's like, you know what? You know what, Sharky? Fuck it. Whatever. I'll do it. Just g- g- give me a couple of minutes. And, and, you know, forget the fact that, that literally 60 seconds ago, I was telling you to go fuck yourself. You know what? I'll, I'll commit this, this horrible act of, of criminal behavior because whatever. Well, and he's also like, Hey, give your goddaughter over here a kiss. Hey, we hugging this family. Come here, Sharky. You're like, uh, it's a bit much and he's going to die. That's how these movies work. I got to broach this subject right now because Sharky is very reluctant to hug this little girl. Correct? <laughs> I think for good reason. I'm not saying that the character of Sharky is a child molester. I'm just saying that upon repeated viewings of this film, he makes comments in it that he is someone, he has issues with either sex or sexuality um, as it relates to kids. And and we'll touch on a few more scenes later. (laughs) I've never read this book, but this scene upon a repeated viewing and a few of things that happened later, I'm just like, this is weird and creepy. And I would, I would be more interested in in exploring that part of the movie than, than where we end up going. Yeah. He's a real creep in this movie. Um, It it gets real gross. Well, in fact, it, it, not Sharky himself. He plays it fairly cool in the next scene. But the next scene is where things start to get like, oh, really? That's what we're doing in this movie? Okay, so let's let's just get to it. So the next scene, we, we, the, the wires have been uh, tapped. And all of our, let's just call them, you know, all of Sharky's machine, these, these cops that are working with them, are all listening to these prostitutes having conversation, which is is essentially tantamount to phone sex. Is that... Is that a fair description? Yeah, it's like setting up... Uh, I, I don't really think this is how these calls would go. It seems to be scheduling the appointment where she's like, Oh, my nipples are all hard for you. <laughs> and fucking Charles Durning can't crank it enough 
<laughs> there's there are either two responses to these conversations. One, to your point, either they can't control themselves, like like the talk of nipples, they're just like homina homina. Oh, homina. he is beside himself. Or or Arch, he can't comprehend basic human sexual behavior because one woman says, "I'm spreading myself," and he looks around and he's like, "Spreading what?" And it's like. <laughs> Use your imagination. Like, right. right. What do you what do you think? Peanut butter? You, you know no I mean? one in middle school ever came up to you and said the word is legs. Her arms wide open. She's giving him a hug. It's just but I mean he he genuinely looks confused. Just like he, like one eyebrow is up, one eyebrow is down. It's just like, what would you be spreading during the act of sexual intercourse? I'm terribly confused. So I, I just <laughs> hearing Doc Hopper saying, Oh, hard tits, hard tits. Oh, I love hard tits. And the like, they sh- it, Burt Reynolds shoots him from the back, <laughs> and he's kind of hunched over the recorder, <laughs> and it is the most uncomfortable shot until I don't know two scenes from now. But <laughs> it was the point in the movie where I was like, "Ugh, <laughs> this movie may have problems." I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go talk to my parents about the the first time they ever had sex to make me feel better about myself. <laughs> yeah, it's just so gross. And then, like the the fucking icing on the cake for this merry band of perverts <laughs> is Nosh comes in. And he's like, I got the other one, and and they're all like. <laughs> You, you got Domino Man? He's like, yeah, I got the raw shit here. <laughs> Spit it so up, Nosh. He should be like holding the like the the tape above his head with him jumping around like a bunch of dogs going after you know like a piece of meat. And so they put in the Domino tape, and who's heard on there? But it's uh, what's his name, Hodgkins. Hodgkins this, guy yeah. running, this guy running for governor. And again, this group of idiot detectives—they're all listening to it, and they're all kind of looking at each other, like, like, just like, like, oh, this is so hot. And then Nosh is like, "Do you recognize a voice?" And they're like, "No." He's like, "No, no, listen, this is a really recognizable voice." And they're like, "Yeah, we don't, we don't know who it is." Like, I mean, I can hear the lady talking, but what is, <laughs> like, what is the like, other one? Does it sound like somebody? Maybe his name rhymes with Schmotkins. Like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Maybe like like Moviner Motchkins, Governor Hodgkins. Gov- it's it's Hodgkins, you idiot. And they're like, oh, I think this might be Hodgkins. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Now that you say it, it that's that sounds right. Oh, I can, can you hear play it now, the you know? nipple one again? <laughs> it's a tonal language. You know, I'm still getting caught up to uh, the nuances of, of, of this this fake Southern accent. Yeah, I can't I can't hear so good after all the wolf whistles. <laughs> with, with all the blood rushing to my dick, my ears don't work. So Sharky says immediately, um, I want to monitor uh, Domino 24 hours a day. And there's like, all right, whatever. They'll, they'll go set this. Well, Frisco so, so now- makes a real show of like, we ought to have the money to do this, Sharky. And he's like, no, no, I'll do it all myself. Don't even worry about it. I don't understand his motivation for for agreeing to do this 24 hours a day. He heard that breathy accent and he was like, yeah, that's all right. Hey, I'll I'll watch her through a window for a while. 
I think I think everybody in this movie is just trying to get it wet. I don't understand where where Sharky's motivation for sitting in a room and watching this the I don't know this prostitute for twenty four hours a day. And I think that that in going through it, I've heard that they wanted to do a remake of this. Um, once upon a time with, uh, like Mark Wahlberg. Right. But I gotta say, having thought through this, I think that Michael Shannon playing Sharky would be the greatest thing ever. If, if, if you did the version of this movie that is essentially a remake of Vertigo, you're right. Michael Shannon would kill that where it's all about just his obsession, his dark obsession with this woman, this made up relationship he has with her. That's this movie. Right. And that's what it ought to be. But then it takes a turn where it's just like, Oh no, that was all okay. (laughs) Like, (laughs) we're at three now. It never is. There's never a moment for me in this movie where it's like, yeah, that's okay. If I can have Michael Shannon being like, like, like if, if, if Frisco comes in and is like, we don't have the money. It's like, don't worry. I'll do it. I'll sit there for 24 hours a day. All I need is a a, a wide angle lens and a bucket to poo poo and pee in. I'll be fine. Are we going to record her? We going to get sound and visual. I would love that. The more I think about that, it makes this movie better. So let's keep going. <laughs> silly let's keep Valentine. This movie's so gross. <laughs> so so somehow Sharky and Nosh, they clearly, illegally break in and they wiretap the apartment of Domino. They don't, to the best of my knowledge, have have a, like a judge's authorization. No, none of this have, is admissible. There's none of this. It would be just like if if you and I just went into someone's house and just started planting microphones yeah. I to mean, record them. Legally speaking, this is all just for funsies. It's, it's, it's you know what? Maybe it's just a hobby. Which when he meets with Nosh, it seems like that that's kind of his thing. It's like and, Gene Hackman shows up and starts peeling shit off the walls. <laughs> So they go in this apartment, which for those who haven't seen this movie, nor should they ever, it looks like, like some sort of like, like, um, Asian curio shop, um, was set up inside the, 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 uh, Niagara Falls honeymoon suite. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's like, the, the, it think- should have a hot tub. It doesn't, shaped, but it should. Shaped like, 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 like a champagne. <laughs> Class. Hey, you know, speaking of that, the, I, we didn't really talk about this earlier, but that rotating bed really stuck in my craw a little bit. Mm-hmm. I was like, have you ever fucked on a, rota- a rotating bed? Why on earth would you I, want to? I've never been on a rotating bed. It I've seems, never seen. It seems like it raises the degree of difficulty in a situation where you're not looking for the challenge. You know? I've been in a rotating restaurant, but that's about as the closest. Did you fuck in that? I didn't have sex either no no i just i just ate dinner and then left oh as most as most normal people do seems like a real missed opportunity but all right <laughs> hold on where's my bucket list? yeah but <laughs> but yeah the, 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 it's one of one of them movie apartments but also <laughs> it's because she's a thousand dollar a night hooker and we can't deal with that in this movie at all thousand dollars a night oh my god how on earth could anyone possibly a afford it and b pay it? They're, but they're interrupted uh, by Arch saying, 
over the radio, like, hey, Domino's coming, and you know how none mm-hmm. of this is above board. You guys need to get the fuck out of there. <laughs> and Sharky and Nosh, they go outside, and, and they uh, pretend that they're Outside her door on- is all. <laughs> they pretend like they're working. <laughs> They're working on the elevator. And then she goes to her door and she looks over her shoulder and Sharky's like, you know, pretending that he knows how to use a Phillips head screwdriver. And he looks over and there's this, this really disturbing, like, like translucent shot through her skirt. And you can see her, like her, her, like below the waist, like this silhouette of her. And she makes eyes at him and he makes eyes at her. Yeah, and he does like a quadruple take. He does everything but take off his shoe and hit himself <laughs> in the head. And at this point, the whole movie turns into a stakeout uh, film of a thousand dollar a night hooker. Is is that a fair assessment of pretty much what we have until the very end? Yeah, well, until the end of Act Two, until it's just like, oh no no no, it's kind of an action movie. Although we're gonna still pepper in a little bit of creep along the way, but yeah, there, there, there's a little bit of creep and there's a there's a hint of Reservoir Dogs. You know, I I complained when uh we i the first time i watched this movie and and talked to you about it i was like man it's just boring and i think that it what really drags the movie down is this kind of stretch of the film where it's just everybody being gross <laughs> see and that's what made it great for me and, like, well yeah look at this bunch of creepy weirdos <laughs> repeat viewings turn me around on it a little bit where I'm like, oh well, that's I, I I'm I'm paying too much attention to trying to make this plot work, and and being bored by the stretches where nothing plot wise is happening, and then inverted my appreciation of the film where it was like, oh no no, now I don't give a shit about any of the failed plot attempt of this film. Now I'm just into the weirdo characters because they've all got some weird things going on. What you just described was my first and second viewing of Robert Duvall in The Apostle. (laughs) (laughs) It's the notes it doesn't play, Chad. The first time I saw The Apostle, I was just like, what the hell is going on here? And then the second time, I was like, oh, I kind of get it now. This is is so much better. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and I I don't like the movie that I like about Sharky's Machine. Like the the thing that makes it a, a watchable, entertaining movie for me is not the directorial intent of the film. There is none. It is just the like directorial directorial id that expresses itself through this movie. That I'm just like, oh, this is so dark and fascinating. It's like. It's like finding like your uncle's porn stash and there's some weird <laughs> shit in there, you know, like really, there's a lot of rubber, huh? All right. Way to go, Uncle Dan. <laughs> so, so Sharky follows Domino to Jazzercise and they're in there doing like this, this, you know, kind of like, like this 1980s era of, of, you know, dance and exercise. And Burt Reynolds just stands in the window and stares at her, which number one, if anybody did this, looking the way he looked, they would immediately call the authorities. <laughs> or just a <laughs> passerby. No like if we lived in the age of cell phones, this scene never would have happened because somebody would have stopped and been like, Hey pal, I got your picture. 
There's, there's just no looking point at to the scene at all, other than we get to see Domino, you know, kind of dancing around in, in uh, tight fitting clothing. And then there's, there's a whole lot of him watching her, uh, smoking. He watches her sleep. He watches her play, uh, piano because she's, you know, cultured. He watches her drinking because, you know, she's an alcoholic. He watches her, watches her drunk singing alone because she's a lot like you and me, Bo. Um, and then, uh, Domino goes off to play tennis. And as at this point in the movie, I was just like, doesn't she have sex for money? Cause really this, she just kind of looks like, you know, I don't know, like a trophy wife. We'll kind of get to that later. I, I think then, you're glossing over some of the finer character moments in this sequence, <laughs> Chad. For example, when Nosh talks about the time where he may or may not have overpaid for a Japanese prostitute or the fact that Sharky admits to fucking his girlfriend in high school or how about when uh arch <laughs> well, hold on hold on i'm not i didn't i didn't gloss over arch because because in my notes i have that when she goes to play tennis that the, there is an exchange which is and according to my my my, my poorly scribbled uh handwriting says this is the most irresponsible story of police work ever like i've underlined this it's if mark david chapman was a police (laughs) officer he would be tommy shark telly or whatever his name is and because it's all about like this whole sequence is about him developing this incredibly weird fake relationship with her where he's like lying in bed watching her as she's lying in bed and saying things to her like oh roll over and then she does and they're singing this duet together and in you a- you can't tell me you don't want to see michael shannon <laughs> like doing a remake of this like roll over yeah i want to see you do that yeah <laughs> my silly valentine I just want to kill you. He, he would be amazing. But but he but, but, so but good. But you would have to intentionally make the movie about that. And that's the crazy thing about this movie is this movie thinks this is sexy. This is like, oh, look at the steam between these characters, one of whom doesn't know <laughs> this is happening. See, and I and I put that solely on the shoulders of of one Mr. Burt Reynolds, oh yeah, star of and director of this film. I want to get into this story. So, so there when they go watch Domino play tennis, and 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 again in my notes, I say this is the most irresponsible story of police work ever. And Arch, again, our uh, who's again a black man, just for for those playing at home, and he's he's into sort of like you know this like um uh, uh like this Zen perspective of the universe and, and meditation. And he's very, you know, kind of like touchy feely. And he tells him this story that when he was a a younger police officer, he got called on this domestic call and he's just like, yeah, there's this guy. And you know, he's, he's beating on his wife and I go in his, into the house and the guy pulls uh, like a gun on me and I pull one on him. And he, and he's like, and then I just had this out of body experience He's like, I was there, but I wasn't there. It's like, I just disappeared. And the woman was looking at me, but I was gone. And, and then the woman was like, like, hello, are you there? And then I came back and then like, like Sharky's looking at him like, yeah, this guy's totally full of shit. 
And then Sharky says, he's like, so what'd you do? And this is the part that's so irresponsible. Arch simply goes, he's like, uh, I just kind of, you know, looked at the woman and told her she'd be all right. And I told the dude that, you know, uh, she should go over and just tell her, tell him that she loves him and, uh, you know, th- they'll be okay. And I was just like, wait, what? You showed up at a domestic dispute where a guy pulled a gun on you, a police officer. At the end of it, you were just like, why don't you guys just do kiss and make up? Everything will be all right. Because as soon as he gets back in the patrol car, I got news for you. Her, her brains are being splattered on the wall. Yes, it's irresponsible. But also, Arch believed he had just learned he had the power of invisibility. And sometimes you have to prioritize. He uses the expression... I minimized my force field, which I genuinely wish had made it into like popular parlance of just like, man, things were going rough. I minimized my force field and got the fuck out of there. That, that would have made me happier as an individual. I I think this story is mostly intended to make him look like a fool, but Bernie Casey is just a good enough actor that as he's telling the story, I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. So what happened next, Arch? Do you know the last time I heard a convincing story of someone really being able to to let me believe that they had the, the power of invincibility was when I was probably seven or eight years old, and it was Richard Mulligan as the character Bert on the TV show Soap where he realized that he had the ability to turn invisible when he snapped his fingers, but he didn't. He was just a dipshit who would walk through a room, and because he was so inconsequential, no one paid him any notice. However, he used that to his advantage because he could snap his fingers and just sort of walk around. I don't think this guy turned invisible. I think he's just an irresponsible cop. And he just walked into this situation and almost got shot, almost shit his pants. And at the end of it, they're like, what do we do? What do we do? You know what? Uh, You guys kind of work things out. I'm going to, you know, go find Mabel or Hazel or whatever aged prostitute and work out some stress. We have to set up a really stupid callback. Uh, And I, I guess that's the real point of this. I mean, maybe it's like when it happens, there's a thing later in the movie where you're just like, I, I guess fine. Is this supposed to be some mystical something or other? Cause I couldn't care less. Are you talking about the very end of the movie? Yeah. I'll get to that. I got thoughts on that. And and the answer is no. So we're, we're watching Domino and our fake governor shows up. He tells her that he's bought her a house and then he immediately pulls down her pants and she starts crying. Have I missed anything in that in that interaction? He did say, did I buy these for you when he shoved his face in her panties? You know what? I think I purposely blocked that out. It's great. And I was also wondering, if, if you're a $1,000 a night hooker, keep in mind, she's not, you know, working seven nights a week from everything I've seen. I figured that she could just buy her own house. I mean, cash on the barrel head. What does she need the, you know, pretend governor to pony up and get her a home? Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and her story in general in this film is is left so vague that I'm still not 100% sure who she is in this movie. There's the story that you hear from Victor, but I don't, I mean, I guess that's true. But also, if it is, where did all the dancing shit come from? I don't know. None of it makes any sense. While Nosh, uh, Sharky, and Arch are all watching this go down <laughs> right. through the window. She gets a phone call 
from mm-hmm. uh, an Italian guy. And he's like, that guy needs to get the fuck out of the house. Then Victor shows up surprising Domino. Right. And this is her moment. The, the, the most we can say for sure about her character is that she wants out of the life mm-hmm. and believes that the governor is her ticket to that. And so she tells Victor, I don't want to be a prostitute anymore. Uh, he's like, go ahead, dance for me. Go on, Domino, dance. I just want to say that, that again, for, for those people that have never seen this movie, that Victor sports an ascot. And there are only two other people that I've ever seen in my life. Both of them are fictitious that wear ascots. One of them is Fred from Scooby-Doo. And the second is, is Ralph Furley from Three's Company. Um, again, two things that people under the age of probably 35 have no reference to whatsoever, but it's, it's a fabulous ascot and he's got this great Bud Abbott, you know, mustache and he's, he's really creepy. And again, just to sort of set the stage, Victor is the one who's the puppet master. He's the one pulling the strings of, of everybody and everything. And he kind of questions this relationship with this pretend governor. And he's really, really gross. And he says that he'll let her out of the lifestyle, but he wants the two of them to have sex again one last time and quote, we'll be artists. So then I was like, that's my line, Victor. (laughs) Rip off and motherfucker. You stole that from me. So, it was my one move. So so Domino immediately agrees. And what's weird, because this movie is just, it's so poorly directed and edited. So Domino agrees, and then she passionately jumps into the game. And it's like, okay, this is the Domino with an E that I've been hearing so much well, about. Well, she you takes I mean? a little mother's little helper. No, no, no. So she jumps into it with him at first. And it's like, oh, I right. Have those ex- I have those exact words, Mother's Little Helper, written down. She immediately, she's like getting into it. But then we cut to her in the bathroom and she's crying. And I was like, oh, like things went bad. You know, she feels bad about this. Then she pops a pill. Then she rolls back out. And Victor is outside smoking, smoking and he's getting ready. And, you know, she's all jacked up on quaaludes or whatever and red wine. And then we cut to who Sharky across the way at his 24 hour stakeout watching them have sex all night. Yeah. Because the sun comes up and, and Sharky's like wiping the sweat and eye boogers, you know, out of his eyes. He's all bloodshot and, and pasty white. I don't understand why he was up all night watching these two people have sex other than the fact he is a, a, a creepy weirdo that should be played by none other than Michael Shannon in the remake of this film. That's my fake girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing, that's the thing about this movie, right? Like, like I was saying earlier about dirty Harry, dirty Harry does tough guy shit. That's why everyone likes dirty Harry. Sharky <laughs> illegally <laughs> surveils a prostitute. And then forms this relationship with uh, with her, and now he feels hurt and jealous because <laughs> because somebody is moving in on his woman, this beautiful 
thousand dollar a night hooker who doesn't know he even exists. Doesn't she remember me from that day? I was pretending to use a Phillips head screwdriver yeah. on the up button at the elevator. Right. It's this really unhealthy, like she glanced at me and smiled and now I'm going to build my world around her until one of us is dead. You know, like, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what happens. Also, all of the music in this movie could be taken from the show Moonlighting. Just a note I made, especially the music being played in the Domino's Got One Last Fuck in Her scene. This, this song could be the theme song for Moonlight. Domino returns home, and then we see that there's not one weirdo, but two weirdos that are openly watching her from the same building, like two doors down. How they didn't run into each other, I don't know. One of them is Sharky, and the other one, I'm just going to say Henry Silva. Yeah. Because we mentioned him earlier. Yeah. Let's just, it doesn't matter his name. It's Henry Silva. When, when you're scoring this at home, Henry Silva is Victor's brother. They're brothers. Victor's the puppet master. Silva's the muscle who's out, you know, like making sure shit gets done. Okay. They don't explain this in the movie, and you, you just need to know that. So they're both watching this and then <laughs> Henry Silva is snorting cocaine and he's, he's taking pills. And my favorite thing about his character is that he has this attache case with the foam in it and his, the, the foam is cut out to hold his guns and his ammunition, but it also has placeholders cut out to hold all of his pharmaceutical bottles. Yeah. <laughs> we call that a doctor's bag in college, Chad. Show with that thing, you got a knight. So our bad guy goes over to Domino's apartment, and as uh, and previously noted, you know he's he's all jacked up on cocaine, and he's in this pill filled rage. He walks up with a like a sawed off shotgun, and he just blasts through the door. and And on the other side, he just rips the face of the woman on the other side just off and he assists her in doing what I would consider to be the best Yule Brenner at the end of Westworld impersonation I've ever seen in my life. It's she's totally okay from the neck down, but her face is gone. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's one of one of the <laughs> few times in this sequence where I'm like, all right, well done, Burt Reynolds. The movie leads you to believe that Domino's face has been blown off. Also this is the second time uh, in almost as many scenes where when somebody's got to do some heinous shit, they got to get all popped up on on the dope uh, to do it. For Domino, it was doing the fucking. For Henry Silva, it's the murder. And then it happens again. Like it's a kind of a through line for those characters. Yeah. Why? Why? Why would you do? Why would you fuck this old man or go murder somebody in your right mind? You wouldn't. <laughs> right. Like have a good time with it. <laughs> So then Sharky sees this, this woman get murdered. He runs over to the, the building and, um, he then, uh, starts to, to run up the stairs. And, and I gotta be honest, based on his, his diet and drinking and smoking habits, there is no way he's getting past the third floor of this building. He would collapse and be done, but he's sprinting up it. It reminded me of the Ghostbusters you know, when they're going up at the end. I was like, there's no way he's making this up to whatever umpteenth 20 something floor. Never going to happen. Not without one of them gremlins chairs to no. wind his ass up. No. Smoking the whole way. I'll get there in a minute. So Sharky gets up. He rushes into the room because he's been there before. He knows where it is. And he goes in and he sees, you know, the faceless dead hooker. I, I, sorry to keep interrupting, but this movie sure, is no. so full of frustrating details. Like the way Henry Silva escapes in this movie, he takes the elevator. 
And they just super cop Sharky. He's just like, well, I don't know what the fuck happened. Well, well, guess he's gone. Let me go see what's going on in that apartment now. Yeah. Well, he tells like security when they're coming, like, you know, close off all the exits and he just gets away. There are numerous like plot holes in this that just don't make sense at all. I, I didn't even stop for those speed bumps. I just went like a good 40, 50 over it and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I got to replace my shocks anyway. <laughs> so we bring in forensics. There is a body outline on the floor that looks like the quality of work that I expect from a five-year-old making a turkey drawing for Thanksgiving around their five fingers. It is the most sad-ass scribbled outline of a corpse that you've ever seen in your life. Again, reflecting this kind of slapdash, who-gives-a-shit police work that we're seeing across the board within this agency. This scene, you're you're 100% correct, but the, the scene for me is so overshadowed by one moment. In which, uh, as they're investigating the, the, the crime scene, I believe it's Papa who says... And I quote, <laughs> you think this is tied to that ch- chink whore what got <laughs> murdered? In fairness, that is not a direct quote, but it's close enough. Arch says Chinese, <laughs> and, and, which is also still not, you know, correct uh, terminology these days, but whatever. So then this movie's 1980, whatever. The point is that after he makes this statement the guys the other guys kind of look at each other like well listen to fancy pants and one of them says college and I'm like what the fuck does that mean he's the, <laughs> he's not racist so he must be educated see i wanted to see papa after he said chinese go like mm, like i could go for some chinese tonight but burt reynolds isn't funny and I don't think he would ever really think about, you know, how, how you tie all this together. How do you reinforce the integrity of one character and then uh, highlight the comedic, you know, sort of caricature of another? You know, and it's crazy that that scene is the towering achievement or that moment is the towering achievement of this scene because it also features Charles Durning losing his absolute mind at the fact that no one called homicide. You didn't call homicide. He's right. He's right. He is right. You can't have someone murdered, and you can't call the homicide division. Right. Whatever you do, don't call someone whose job it is. And also, like in this whole scene, you know who doesn't say anything? Sharky. He doesn't say anything, and he doesn't say it in that that that, like super cool, insightful Sherlock Holmes way. It's more in that you know, like if I just don't say anything, no one will realize how stupid I am, kind of way. It's interesting to note that we've probably talked about all the side characters way more than Sharky, other than to say Sharky was staring creepily at her through a window. Because that's all he does for 20 minutes in this movie, until he just gets around to breaking the law some more. The team somehow uh, figures out that they need to go to this other apartment where the, the bad guy watched them. And through this jazz montage, they get some evidence and they track down a bunch of stuff and something. And they use, I don't know, science and then some really sorry Texas instrument computer that was state-of-the-art in 1980-whatever else. In fact, what it feels like is they took a bunch of stuff from the book and just compressed it down to show them kind of going and detecting things. And then there's a moment where Sharky goes over to Hutchinson, the the fake governor guy. Yeah. And then he walks up to him and at like some kind of garden party. And uh, the only line of dialogue during this musical montage is he walks up and he's like, Domino. And then he walks off and the governor's like, oh, shit. Yeah, they're, they're playing music over this conversation that I genuinely would like to hear. 
because it's you know him revealing the death of Domino, the fact that they know about this. Like, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in that conversation that's way better than the shitty jazz flute <laughs> that's going on. Right, and it, and you're also like Burt Reynolds. Don't try to art this movie up now. You just shot the face off of somebody and been yanking it to Rachel Ward for 15 minutes with your shirt off. Don't try to class this joint up now. Like, we don't need to throw silk scarves on the lamps in this particular dollar an hour rental. I think that was editor's choice. I think there was a whole lot of stuff that was left on the the cutting room floor. And he just compressed it down and threw in the jazz flute. And he was like, look, I can get this thing under, you know, 205 or whatever the runtime is. Because it would have been a good 240 uh, without right. that. What, well, what if we cut eight minutes out of the you watching her dance scene? No, no, that, no, no, that, that's, no, no, that's, that's not going to happen. I, I like that part too much. That's what the fellows want to see when they come see a Burt Reynolds movie. Yeah. yeah. They want to see, uh, knockers a flying and, uh, asses a wiggling, jiggling. Yeah. So Arch and Sharky go to see this drug dealer named Kitten, who is a large black man. Arch threatens Kitten and he says he's going to throw him off this balcony and he turns him upside down. He holds him by the ankles. And then Kitten is like, like, you won't do this. And then Arch does. And he drops him off the balcony. When you're watching it, you're like, oh my gosh, he dropped him off the balcony. But what you don't know is that this balcony is like four feet off the ground right. above some trash cans. <laughs> right. He could have thrown him towards the ground and it wouldn't have hurt anymore. Well, it makes you go back to the scene. It's like, like he wasn't saying, you're not going to throw me off this balcony in a threatening way. It was more in a, like, you're not going to throw me off. Like, this is stupid. Why would you do this? That would be really irritating at best. <laughs> so then he drops him off and he hits some trash cans and then Kitten relents and says, Hey, look, I'll, I'll give you some information that you, that you want. And then our, our pill popping cocaine loving, uh, assassin, uh, played by Henry Silva is hanging out in the distance doing his best priest from the exorcist under a street lamp and he sees him and freaks out um before kitten can give up the information uh you know he kind of he runs off and he hits arch with a trash can lid or something and then james runs away. Him. yeah he does he totally james Con- well i think when i think james Con- that's where you just like keep banging somebody right. you know like over and over until they can't get up he just gives them a good smack and then he runs away and then there are Two Asian guys. He gets attacked by ninjas, Chad. That's what happens. Kitten, the the drug dealer Kitten, is attacked by ninjas in the alley. That is a sentence that is true in the movie Sharky's Machine. The two the two Asian guys attack him. Not only are they ninjas, but they, they attack him with nunchucks. Because this is a movie taking place in the 1980s. <laughs> in Atlanta. Home of martial arts. It is a scene from, from Enter the Dragon. I mean, they beat on him for a while using like, like choreographed martial arts. And then later in the movie, Arch says in reference to Kitten's death, quote, they kung fu'd him to death. Uh huh. Accurate. Arch is the best detective they've got. See, reading that from the coroner's report, like <laughs> it's, it's in the checkbox. Like it's one of the fields you could check. Cause of death. Kung Fu. Just beneath that is ham sandwich. In case Mama Cass shows up. <laughs> so Victor rolls up and picks up Governor, maybe Hutchinson's, Hutchikins or whatever. And um, they start discussing their relationship of who has power over who. And Victor lets him know that he's in charge. 
And um, we still have no clear motivation as to why Victor is our bad guy. Yeah, he, he's just a bad guy. Right. He's just the puppet master of the city. He's sort of he's sort of like the penguin. He's no one no one knows him. He's behind the scenes, but he's he's the one secretly pulling the strings. Why do you think that's never explored in any real fashion at all? Is it just that he's like he's just this kingpin character of Atlanta who has a very thick European accent? Uh uh-huh. Most of the good detective movie is fan fiction because we can't stop to worry about this for too long because we got to get back to Burt Reynolds wanting to crank it to Rachel Ward one more time. This time in her apartment. I get to do it right here in her apartment. Did you did you notice that Sharky and Victor look a lot alike? Yeah. Like one of, just one has an ascot and the other doesn't? Yeah, well, one of them's a bigger creep. And it's not Victor. <laughs> no, it's not. And we haven't really gotten into his creepiness. That that's really safe for Act Three, and it gets really, really creepy. So yeah, let's jump ahead. So so then we cut to a scene where we are at a Atlanta Braves game, and um, all of Sharky's machine is there, along with twenty random people scattered throughout the entire stadium. I don't know why you know the eight or ten of them are there, which by the way we've now ballooned to eight or ten of just other people that worked in uh, forensic, and um, it's then revealed that our uh, bad guy Victor is involved in human trafficking, and that his younger brother, played by Henry Silva, is working the 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 muscle side of of this whole organization. And the weird thing about this scene is it's really played for laughs, but it's not funny because Burt Reynolds isn't funny. And you can see where they're, they're trying to do some physical humor where Charles Durning is doing a lot of homina homina. Let me see that picture. And they're handing it around and it, it doesn't work because you're trying to give exposition. You're creating comedy. And the whole time Sharky is just sitting there thinking about masturbating to this woman or something he is completely absent from the scene other than the fact that his body is is physically in the middle of all of well because the very next thing we see is him going back to her apartment because he's just like yeah i got one more thing to check out how is that legal none of this it it was never legal chad not from jump the wiretap was illegal the surveillance was illegal the murder was wouldn't everyone in the look you and i both live in apartments if someone was shot in the face with a shotgun in your apartment building everyone in that building would know everyone would know oh of course yeah and then he's just wandering around, listening to music, playing funny Valentine because he used to masturbate while she sang that song. And then who comes walking in but a strange woman who here's here's a little piece of insight when it comes to me and how I carry groceries, Bo. I usually fill up two large bags of groceries <laughs> and then I hold them where the base of the bag is at my shoulders. And then I have the bags block my field of vision so I can't see anything as I walk into my house. Now, I don't know if other people do that or not. That's just me. It's it's the more dramatic way to enter a home with your groceries. And sometimes, you know, you give up a little uh, visibility for the performance. So, so, you, so you don't see a shotgun-sized hole in your door, nor do you see blood splatters all over the wall, a huge blood stain on your floor, and you can very casually walk to the kitchen uninterrupted by, I don't know, 
terrifyingly awful crime scene that may be in your apartment. And and also the casualness with which the appearance of one Tommy Sharkaretti, uh, or whatever his name is, in her apartment, she's just like, oh, who are you? So so Domino rolls in carrying giant bags, hiding her face. And she and also at, popping out of the top of the bag is a full carton of Marlboro Reds because they're cheaper that way. And then Domino is not surprised to see this creepy middle-aged white guy just sort of lingering around the Asian curio shop in which she lives. And she assumes that he's there with Tiffany, which again, we now find out is the, the person whose face got blasted off uh, the day before. And then Sharky, he then points out the huge hole in the door and the fact that there is blood everywhere. And then Domino is really not that upset. In fact, she's more put out by the fact that, that there's a huge hole in her door and her roommate's DNA all over the place. Sharky gets a call here from Nosh because, mm-hmm. of course, Nosh is like, I need to get hold of Sharky. Where could I find him? Right. Oh, the ap- he's probably lingering about the dead prostitute's apartment. I'll call there first. <laughs> right. It's for you, stranger. <laughs> oh, that that really tickled me when I saw it. And Nosh is like, the movie <laughs> remembers that it's supposed to be kind of a thriller. And it's like, oh, guess what, Sharky? All the tapes that we had at Domino, they've gone missing. You know, somebody's on to us. And Sharky reveals his innermost thoughts and desires. And he tells Nosh, just go home. Relax. Be with your family or whatever. And uh, I'll take care of it. But but now we know that, hey, somebody is uh, is certainly aware of what's on those tapes, theoretically. I mean, maybe Victor. I don't know. More fan fiction about why, why that mm-hmm. should matter more. There's a weird shot where Henry Silva, the younger brother to Victor, which we're explaining this movie much better than the movie explains itself to its audience. He's like, you see him in the background implying that he's going to kill Nosh. Never paid off. It, not not directly. It's it just later on, you, like you kind of hear that Nosh is dead. But when you see it, it really seems like, uh oh, you know, things are about to get real. Our coked up assassin is going to start taking care of business, but it goes nowhere because it's a lazy, stupid, poorly constructed motion picture. It's really frustrating because that that's the de- off screen death that really drives me crazy in this movie. It's like we've invested a lot of time into Nosh. And it seems like... You never see him again. Right, and that's just it. He's just gone from the movie after this, after he's like, there's trouble, Sharky. Me, your old pal Nosh, who, you know, you have a goddaughter with, and you're, you hugged, and we fight, and we have fun. You know me, good old Nosh. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Is that ring any bells? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Nosh. (laughs) And he's just, he disappears from the movie after this, and Sharky is like, well, I gotta, I gotta hit the road and protect domino now because they're going to come after her presumably because she could take down the governor question mark that wants to buy her a house like i don't know what the threat is that she poses there's no threat there's no i don't know who's coming i mean i think the threat is that she's continuing to have sex with people that aren't victor but she's a prostitute isn't that her job? Another big fuck you, uh, IMDb trivia. There was a note about how when Sharky first runs into Domino after she shows up with the 
two tall grocery bags. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, this exchange was taken from Laura, the classic Hitchcock film. It's like, fuck you. You've been about these cops jerking off to her the whole movie. Let's not, <laughs> again, why are you trying to put lipstick on this pig? Let's just be the pig. Sharky then takes Domino to uh, the house that was previously owned by his parents. Again, his parents are are, are dead now, so they're not going to show him this movie. And we go to this house, and all the windows are boarded up. I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense. At first, I thought it was like, well, maybe he's trying to keep privacy, but that curtains could do that. I don't know if it's because it's a dilapidated, maybe. But then he goes in, and in the room, like the main room where the fireplace is, let me just kind of paint you a picture. Above the fireplace, there are these hastily tacked up pictures of Domino in like very candid moments of her day-to-day life. On the other side of the room in front of the fireplace is what I'm going to call a bed. But to be more specific, it's a mattress thrown on the floor. It's not a bedroom. No. it's It looks like a flop house, man. There's a pile of letters clipped from magazines of varying sizes <laughs> near the pictures. Yeah, it's a real degenerate hideout. And Domino asks him. She looks up and she sees these pictures on the wall. And she's not surprised by that. Okay. And she asks why. To which Sharky says... I don't know. Yeah, he has no answer for it at all. And she's just like, hmm, okay. He says, I don't know. But if I had to wager a guess, is that he's using them to masturbate. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Either that or he's trying to figure out how to carve her out of wood uh, using his special wood carving skills. And that he's got these photos here for reference. He's just trying to finish up the rose before he dives into that other big project he's got on his mind. You know who would have an answer to that question? Michael Shannon. Because you ask him, you walk into that room with Michael Shannon as Sharky, and, and Domino the prostitute says, why do you have these pictures of me up on the wall? He's going to look at the pictures, and he's going to look back at her. He's going to look back at the pictures, and he's going to look at her, and he's going to say, I use them to masturbate at night. I look at him and I think about fucking you. Just and as the audience, you're, you're you are are purposefully skeeved out and feel uncomfortable. As opposed to this movie, when you watch it, it's a real passive aggressive level of uncomfortableness. Where you're just like, this is really really getting gross immediately. Because whenever you know you go to another person's house, the thing you should first do is ask them if you could take a shower. So that's what Domino does. And surprise, surprise, Sharky says. Oh, yeah, you can go take a shower. And he's like, this is just like, you know, my plan. It's all working out. Now I'll get some of her hair in the drain. This is all working (laughs) out for Sharky. So she comes out and she's wearing his bathrobe. Just for what it's worth, if ever a man owned a bathrobe, it's Burt Reynolds. I mean, I think Burt Reynolds owns multiple bathrooms. I think there's a chance that Burt Reynolds owns more bathrooms than he does suits of just, just regular clothing. I mean, if you want to make it a real wager, the real question is, does he have bathrobes for his pets? That's where the the money can be made. Sharky starts asking her questions and she's real glib in her response. And he's kind of asking her questions, trying to solve the, the, the mystery that we were dancing around earlier, but there's nothing to dance around. He immediately turns into bad cop and he gets violent. And then Domino turns on him and she like, this happens within like 30 seconds, if that. And she just starts yelling. She's like, did you watch us? Did you like it? And then Sharky protests way too much. 
all he wants to do is call Domino a whore, which, as we learned from the best little whorehouse in Texas, that didn't work with Dolly Parton, and it's not going to work here. I, I do like the, get off of that! It's a, it's a, again, it's a, I don't know. It, there is no real answer. It's just, na la 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 la. <laughs> I'm not listening then, to you. This is the unintentionally funniest scene in the whole movie. Domino starts crying and spouting off how I'm a dancer and she's crying. Sharky threatens to quote, punch her fucking lights out. She's like, do you like hitting people? And he says he does and he likes it. And then she slaps him. He throws her on the bed. She bites him. He slaps her. And it's like a full front hand, backhand, front hand, backhand. And then Domino's like, don't you just know how to hold someone? And then Sharky says, I don't have a thousand dollars. That was the greatest scene of this movie. These people are absolutely two wackadoo crazy folks that have deeply, deeply disturbing backstories that I never, ever want to see, but at the same time, and completely fascinated by. Like if Jim Jarmusch directed this film, that's what the movie would be, and it would be amazing. Uh, <laughs> I would love to see Burt Reynolds and Rachel Ward reprise their roles even today to pick up where these natural-born killers ended up, you know? This movie, in theory, is about a hero cop. And he has gone from illegal surveillance to his creepy obsession with Rachel Ward to now just smacking her and berating her. And then it's time to fall in Would you watch a remake of this movie where Michael Shannon played Sharky and Domino? Oh, like a Dead Ringers thing? (laughs) Fuck yeah. In fact, pull Cronenberg in. Let's just do it right. I would love to see that. All right, so so you're right. So the next day, we wake up in the morning, and after they've bitten each other and slapped each other and, and you know, done whatever they did the night before, the next morning, they're now the best of friends, and they're laughing. And- <laughs> well, there's, if I may, there is a shot of her, like, the next day seeing the pictures on the wall mm-hmm. that started all of this. And she just gives a little smile like, hmm, he's so cute the way that he's been surveilling me for months. So they're sitting there and they're laughing and they're on this this window seat. They're sharing stories. And the house that Sharky is in is next to a school. And Sharky says that he can't really work at the house when kids are playing on the playground because he has to stop and watch them. And that's gross. And this was the moment in the movie where I hearken back to him and Nosh with his daughter. And I was like, wait a minute. This is like 1980. What? I don't know that the sex offender laws were as strict as they are present day. But if they were, I don't think Sharky would be able to go to that house because he legally wouldn't be allowed to go to that house. I think we know why the windows were well, and then, and then after he after he says that, how he has to stop watching Domino says, she's like, you're a strange guy, Sharky. And then Sharky responds. He was like, yeah, yeah. And everybody says that. Like, what? It's troubling. And then Sharky moves in for a kiss because after you, you know, skirted the fact that you might be a, a pedophile or I don't know what, that's the best time you want to try to kiss the prostitute that you've been stalking for weeks. <laughs> but he, but he doesn't because he's a gentleman. She smiles because she knows he has no money. But I don't understand what the dynamic between these characters is supposed to be in this moment. Is it that he stops himself because he's like, oh, wait, she's a prostitute? (laughs) Or is he... Costs more money. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. I was thinking more like she'd be going a little. <laughs> I don't understand what prevents him from trying to kiss her because this is all he's wanted. I think it's because he's never kissed a woman before. <laughs> <laughs> Not a live one. Um, and I don't understand why she seems pleased. Maybe because she has all the power. I yeah maybe so maybe it's like well he's not just using me for sex but I mean come on you got I don't know what happened the night before you sweat that much with a with someone that you're passionate about it's a little bit like fucking so hitting his love is what I'm we, saying Chad we then cut to outside uh, the police precinct and and one of Sharky's old partners that we didn't talk about because it doesn't matter is arguing with Charles Durning outside they're screaming about. Uh, confidential information in the case very loudly. Like anyone around could hear this. They're just screaming out who got murdered and we illegally wiretapped this. Yeah. Like if anyone knew this, we would all be going to prison and they're just yelling, yelling. And then their lead suspect, our, our lead suspect is hanging around. So Henry Silva's there who they have a picture of. They know that, that what he looks like he's hanging around and then our, our two Asian nunchuck ninja twins, they're sitting in a car and then they proceed to just like full speed run down uh, Sharky's old partner in front of the police precinct. But based on all observations of, of how this group of, of officers perform, they're going to get away scot-free. If you just think about it, if you have to go oh, like yeah. run down a cop in front of a police precinct and then just drive off like you're good. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. If someone told you like, hey, you're going to have to run someone over and be immediately <laughs> pursued by the police, but you're in a car. And the police is Charles Durning. I would take that bet any day. Also, did do you you know what this scene is, right? Like, I, I don't know if it's a direct parody of this scene in particular, or if it's just so stink ridden with this trope. But it's the scene from Hot Shots where the husband is getting in the plane and is like, "Yeah, I got the information on." Scarelli right here. It's in my pocket. You're not going to believe it. It goes all the way to the top. I'm going to the DA's office right now. I, I'm going to give Sharky the justice he's been looking for. And you're just like, oh, you are you are dead. Right. You are so dead. I don't even know why they killed that character. This scene is unnecessary, as is, as is a lot of this movie. We're going to cut back to Domino in uh, Sharky's Jack Shack, as I call it. And she's at a window seat that Sharky's building. And then she calls him out for carving a rose. And she tells Sharky that he's strange, to which he agrees. And in the creepiest scene of the movie, Sharky then, he picks up Domino the hooker, who he was beating, you know, less than like, I don't know, 12 hours ago, maybe 24. And he's wearing this black wife beater shirt. And he carries her to his bed, which again, is is just a mattress on the floor presumably the two of them are now going to have sex question mark oh they're getting down chad this is everything he's ever wanted he is in complete control she is hidden away from the rest of the world no one knows where she is but him she is practically a captive he's, he got a chance to beat her already and now he gets a chance to uh you know ravish you say her it completely. like that it sounds so romantic 
Another thing about this scene that just drives me fucking crazy. It, it, it's like you were saying about, well, this is, I don't know, 12 hours after you hit her or maybe 24. I don't know if you remember this, but a few scenes before, Frisco, a.k.a. Charles Durning, actually says to them about this case that is all <laughs> real off the books. You've got 48 hours or I'm going to turn it over to <laughs> Homicide. She insists on saying it like I that. I think he insists on saying that because if he says homicide, it sounds too much like homosexual. I'm going to put the emphasis on the wrong syllables <laughs> so that so that people don't confuse right. me with being, you know, one of them. But in theory, that's what what we in the in the writing business call a clock. You put the movie on a clock where it's like we got 48 hours to solve this or we're going to lose the case. And because the police are potentially corrupt, it's just going to get swept under the rug and we're both going to be killed. Like all of that stuff works to push a movie to its conclusion. But like you said, there's just no sense of time. We're just fucking around and talking about rose carvings. And, oh, shucks, I'm a little bit embarrassed about that, but (laughs) let's do it. You're like, I don't even know what to care about in this movie anymore. Our next scene, Sharky then goes to confront Victor at this fancy restaurant. And he's still, you know, donning his ascot because that's his thing. One quick point about this, like the whole deal with Bert's fuck pit is that he's trying to get the Victor's last name. So that she won't spill the beans. She won't tell him who Victor is so he can he can finally take him down once and for all. And it's a big deal. But then he just shows up at Victor's place. And I'm like, did she tell him his name? Did that happen in this movie? I don't. You know, I vaguely remember that after two viewings. I, maybe like where he is. But when he, he shows up at this fancy restaurant, Victor's there with like three other prostitutes or, you know, ladies with him. And he tells Victor, I've got you by the ass. And then he says that he's, quote, a lump of shit lying at the bottom of a commode. I've known people in my life who there is something about the way that they are wired, that they are very poor at using profanity or expressing themselves using language that is maybe arguably unfamiliar. But why you would ever tell someone you've got them by the ass, as opposed to you would think you would say you've got them by the balls. And why would you tell someone that they like a piece of shit at the, at the bottom of a commode? And then Sharky says, you know what? And I'm the one with my hand on the chain ready to, to flush him. And it's such a bad delivery of that line. It's like, it's a terrible line. He delivers it badly and then does this thing like where he, he crushes his fist in front of his face. And so for a second, he looks like the poster from Rollerball. <laughs> Remember that one, kids? <laughs> nope, not a stunner. But then Victor, Victor turns it around. It's like, okay, really? He's like, you know what, Sharky? He's like, I picked up Domino when she was 12. And it's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to cut to the kind of the quick on this. And then Sharky's like, oh, yeah, well, guess what? Domino's alive. I did it with her last night. And then he t- Sharky tells Victor, he says, I get the feeling your rear end is puckering up. At this point, I was really surprised that he didn't ask him if he needed to go make a BM. Like, yeah, it, it's basically critical bill from things to do in Denver when you're dead as a cop. I know fecal freak, Johnny. <laughs> is your rear end puckering up? <laughs> Who says that? Yeah, just say asshole, man. Like. Why are we going around the block on this? So, so our next scene, Sharky goes to Nosh's house. Remember Nosh? We talked about him earlier. Well, he's dead. And he goes down into the basement. And when he goes down, 
he gets attacked by the two ninja nunchuck twins. I swear to you, this felt like Inspector Clouseau walking <laughs> to his apartment when Kato would attack him. He's going down and these two Asian guys just jump out and give him the smackdown back and forth. I know a lot of our references on this show are, are specific to a certain age, referencing what we know from pop culture. But this truly was a moment that I was like, how did this scene happen when this movie came out and someone not raise their hand and say, this is hilarious. I know because I just saw it at a film that was in the theater six months ago. I think the answer to that is the same answer uh, as to why are there so many ninja magazines in 1983? <laughs> we were just into it, man. Everybody just kind of dug it for some reason. <laughs> and and for whatever reason, they decided there needed to be ninjas in this movie. And every time they showed up, it was a fucking delight. And why they don't kill him is because he's in the director's chair. Arguably, it's because they want to try to find out where Domino is. So... We are now on a fishing boat, and who's there but our friend Smiley from the start of the film. If this character had not been named Smiley, I wouldn't have remembered his face. I wouldn't have remembered his name. I would have remembered nothing about it. So giving him this cornball, goofy name, it was like, oh, okay. Oh, he's the one who's been, you know, the dirty cop preventing them from getting the the wiretap, the one who made evidence disappear. But we know nothing about this character whatsoever. It, it wasn't until the second viewing that I put it together, quite frankly, because I'm not very smart. Yeah, and he's there to put the screws to Sharky and say, give us uh, Domino's location because we have to kill her for some reason that we haven't made clear. Right. Well, the threat is that they're going to cut Sharky's fingers off one knuckle at a time. He has ten opportunities, uh, Smiley says, to, to give up Domino's location. And Sharky is like, no, I'm a tough guy. I'll never tell you. Is that two knuckles? Per finger times five fingers? Yes. I think it's just one hand he's talking about. Okay. I was trying to work the math out on that when I watched. I was like, is he cutting off his fingers? Ten fingers? But he said knuckles. Like, I, it's it, divided by number of wiretaps. <laughs> I, no, I have no idea. But the thread is there. And then when you hear it in watching the movie, you're like, okay, we're about to you know, see some super cop backflip. He's going to take care of business. But you're wrong. He just flips over the table and well, shoots him. But not, before we even get to that, the nunchuck twins are there and they pull out this butterfly knife. Butterfly knives were another thing that was really big in the 80s. The people kind of like flipping around in their hand. And he full on cuts off not one, but two of Sharky's fingers. It's pretty good. I wish it mattered at any point in the rest of the movie. But it was cool. And tonally, it's it, the oh, the closest thing that comes cl to it is when Tiffany gets shot in the face. It's intense. I mean, it's thoroughly unexpected. It does not match the tone of anything else in this movie. And Sharky doesn't cry out. He just sort of like takes the pain and just sort of whimpers quietly. And then Smiley, he like calls him out because he's crying because he's lost two fingers. He kind of shames him a little bit crying. It Paco, you and your brother, and why your name Paco, who knows, but get out of the room. I don't want you to see a, a, a grown man cry here. And and that's the point where Sharky like goes for the gun at his ankle, 
And Smiley's oh, yeah. like, uh, yeah, we got that one. And then Sharky's just like, oh, all right, I'll, uh, how about I uh, flip over the table and shoot you then? And then that's what happens. And then the movie becomes Jason takes Manhattan, except Sharky is Jason. Oh, my God. When he flips the table and, and kills Smiley, then he kills one of the nunchuck twins. And then he whips out like some sort of retractable blackjack that looks like this Bob Barker microphone and the, the nunchuck twin does. And he's going to use that to, to just beat the shit out of Sharky. And then Sharky's like, you know what? He wraps up his hand and then he grabs a spear gun on this fishing boat, which is, I don't know, out in the middle of wherever Georgia. Remember that's where this movie's taking place. Cause there's a lot of ninjas running around Atlanta. He takes this spear gun and to your point of reference, shoots the second twin straight in the heart. And then when the twin gets shot, did you notice that he, he like nods his head, his head as if to say like, well, I knew this was bound to happen sooner or later. Like he's not surprised by <laughs> yeah. it whatsoever. Just He shoots the guy with the spear gun and then kicks the end of the spear to, to kick Paco off of the boat. Even in my notes, less people feel as if I'm being unfair to Sharky's machine. The note itself says, not bad, Sharky's machine. I'm down for this. If you'd had more of that, then the movie falls more into the, the genus of missing in action or, you know, some of the like Rambo first blood part two, where the horror of it is, is like, you know, let's take a little page from serial killers and let's take a page from, you know, vengeful maniac cops and blend those two together. But this movie, that's not the movie that they're doing. It, it, it seems wholly out of place, but it's awesome. If you see a ninja shot in the heart with a spear gun, I didn't expect right. that going into Burt Reynolds' Sharky's machine that clearly is presenting itself as a, a southern fried knockoff of Dirty Harry. If Dirty Harry shot a ninja with a spear gun in the heart, I would be like, shame on you. Shame on you for doing that. Isn't there a fair amount of, of Kung Fu in Sudden Impact? It's been, or that might be the Deadpool. Yeah. The Deadpool's got a lot of, a lot of like wacky weird stuff. I don't know who was helming that shit. That may be for, uh, for another season and and, and another day. We'll, we'll we'll, we'll put a pin in that one. There, there's a time jump that happens, but they don't explain that at all. And in fact, on both viewings of this film, we are at election day and Governor Hutchison is, has been elected governor. I was thinking again on both viewings that all of this, like the, the ninja killing happened on the same day, but I was wrong. We are now days, weeks, maybe months in the future. It doesn't matter. And the governor's scanning around the crowd and they're cheering his name and he sees Domino and it's in this weird, weird pseudo hallucinogenic state. He sees her two or three times. And then the fourth time he sees Domino, she's there with Sharky, which from a film point of view is meant to sort of punctuate the fact that not only is Domino alive, but Sharky is alive. I guess the governor thinks he's dead because of the garden party. And then Victor said he was going to be dead. Like none of this, like they don't, they don't connect any of these dots whatsoever. It also requires them to plan Domino standing in one spot and then running over to another spot. And then on like the third pass, like he's like, listen, third time I'll be there too. <laughs> It'll really freak him out. And then the, you know, Hodgkins sees them together and just loses his groove on stage and kind of runs off. He's not a very good public servant. 
you would think he w- he would be better at covering it at least because it, it's one of those things where he's given the speech and he's like boy i gotta tell you it was like when dave <laughs> faked his aneurysm <laughs> like whoa he just runs off the stage for me it's uh yosemite sam clubbing the lion uh and <laughs> while he's turned away and the trellis goes up and then turning back and realizing what what's just happened so he wins and, and he fucks off and then victor and you know, <laughs> henry silva are having an argument at victor's place because victor says he's got to get out of dodge now that domino has turned up and again i don't know what the threat is from any of this. They don't nope. explain. Nope. Like he, he never says like, well, with her still alive, then fill in the blank. <laughs> right. Uh, check out my fan fiction. Uh, Victor is like, Hey, I'm going to take off. I got to travel alone and then I'll send for you. And Henry Silva is like, send for me. Why? Uh, you've always treated me like I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. And it's like, well, you're a fucking drug addict, dude. I can't, you know, I'm trying to run a criminal empire here. You can't be snorting pills on the job and whatnot and run the city. Uh, Henry Silva takes it badly and and shoots his brother in the back. You can't blame a bird for flying and you can't blame a fish for swimming, eh? The we're We're actually right around the corner from the end of this thing because the cops show up looking for victor and they they rush into the apartment sharky being tip of the spear as they bust into this place and they find victor dead and we got to take a second for sharky to beat up dead victor because it's like i wanted to kill you motherfucker and you took it from me like you can't kill him because he's already dead the hero of our film, ladies and gentlemen, really pining for the fact that he wasn't able to not bring a killer to justice, but didn't get to murder him himself. It's inspiring. When I saw that scene, I was like, wow, I haven't seen Sharky uh, uh, slap somebody around like that since, you know, he was with a prostitute whose pictures he secretly took and then masturbated to at his dead parents' home. Well, and the other asshole thing about all of this is that his big concern now isn't like, hey, we got to catch Henry Silva. It's we've got to catch him before some beat cop in the lobby catches him. No, you're not going to give away that kind of prize. Right. It's all about getting the collar to your crooked surveillance operation. Or they're going to go to prison. Right. They got (laughs) to cover their their tracks. So Arch... Uh, and, and Sharky and Papa, they go all, all after, uh, Henry Silva, which again, just if you, if you're trying to sort of map all this out, the scene where Henry Silva kills Victor, that's the scene where Victor and Henry Silva says like, but you're my big brother. And in it, you're like, he, that they're, you're two, two, two are brothers. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I remember some, somebody saying something about brothers earlier in this movie. <laughs> like, oh, 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 okay. And I guess it's more dramatic as you shoot it. So our, our three main, uh, cops, the, the people who are left in Sharky's machine run off after our remaining, let's call him villain, you know, because he's doing coke and killing people. Combine those two. They're, they're, they're both. You know, bad. Well, then we decide we're going to introduce something to this movie that never mattered before or never was brought up before. And suddenly it's kind of a big deal in this movie where they're like, he's a ghost. We can't find a man. He's just, <laughs> it's like he's a fucking monster or something. Sharky shoots Henry Silva in the shoulder, which when I saw that, I was like, he didn't feel that. 
<laughs> if it bleeds, we can kill it. No, no, you cannot. <laughs> and then after he shoots him, uh, Silva, he takes one final bump, which I was like, dude, this guy is committed. <laughs> Look, if you're, if you're on, uh, on the gank, uh, as a lot of hitmen are, then you, you got your vial on you, you got your club 54 chain. And as soon as it's like, Hey, this is end game, Henry Silva. We're not making it out of this tower, but you can go out glorious. It's like uh, the weirdos in Fury Road, like shooting the silver spray as they like know they're going to die. Like, off to Valhalla! I think that it's the same kind of thing. So Papa, he's the first one who gets killed by Henry Silva. And here's the thing. In the, uh, in the office pool, I had cardiovascular disease as to what would kill Papa. So in that case... I'm out five bucks. All right. Ever the spoiler, Henry Silva. I'm playing the odds. And then Sharky follows this trail of, of bloody $100 bills, which cleverly is a trap. Okay. That he like sprinkled them along knowing that they would go that way because he was like, they're not very good detectives. <laughs> right. They're real dumb. Right. And then Arch gets shot a lot. I mean, he gets shot a lot by Henry Silva to the point where it's like, oh, Arch is now dead. And Arch gets a couple shots off into to Henry Silva, but it doesn't matter because he's all jacked up on cocaine and pills. And then um, Hen- Henry Silva, he goes over to Arch, who's sitting on the floor, and he just like violently screams at him. And he's going to shoot him in the head. And you're like, oh, we're about to see, you know, he's going to pull a, a dead hooker on you. But he doesn't. And he just, he scampers off. Again, this is my second favorite scene in the whole movie. Sharky finds Arch and he's sitting on the ground and they have a conversation that goes on way too long. I think they're playing it for laughs, but again, it's the timing is wrong and it's the wrong place for a joke to begin with. Like we're at the end of the movie. We're in the big action scene. Let's not hit the brakes for some dumb conversation between. It's a file from police squad. When, when you have a character who's been shot eight times and when, when Sharky comes over and, and Arch is just like, he's like, Hey, Shark, you gotta do me one favor. He's like, you gotta kill him. And Shark's like, okay, great. I'll kill him. And then literally Sharky like turns to go away and he's like, Shark, 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 come back, come back, come back. I want you to put a stake in his heart. Oh, okay. Is that it? That's it. That's it. That's it. And then he leaves again. He's like, Shark, 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 come back, come back, come back, come back. Tell him I thought he was an asshole. Okay, is there anything else? Do you have any other requests? You were bleeding to death. No, I'm good, I'm good. Shark, 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 come back, come back, come back. It feels like it should it should be a joke, but it's not. And it completely disrupts the pacing of this game of cat and mouse between this ghost and this group of Keystone cops. So here's where my <laughs> my like horror movie senses tingle. Because they're calling the dude a ghost, and in theory, this is a callback to Arch saying that he could kind of disappear from view, that he could minimize his force field when he's staring down the barrel of a gun pointed at him. Because that's how this ends, is like Silva pointing the gun at him and then walking away, leaving him there, in in theory, just to bleed out. But I, I don't know, it's like a callback to this thing, and I'm, I'm not saying anything mystical is happening in this movie, but I'm just like, where? why are we doing any of this? What does this matter? Is it just to make him look foolish at the end that he's still hippy dippy or something? Sharky shows up. Um, Henry Silva is standing in front of this window at the top of this high rise. And then Sharky is 
going to uh, shoot him. And then Henry Silva's like, no, I'll, I'll just kill myself. And then Sharky shoots him. He uh, explodes out of this window where, as the intro set up, Dar Robinson pulls off this incredible free fall from, you know, 200 plus feet in the air that you get to see for about, what would you say? 1.8 seconds. If you blink, you'll miss it. And it's, it's an embarrassing edit because you, well, maybe it's only, maybe it's like two seconds, but you see this guy explode through the window. And when you know the history behind that stunt, it's like, Oh my God, like they threw a guy out of a building with a cable around his waist. OSHA was kept at bay. Do you know what I mean? Like, like no one was there to make sure that no one was really going to die. And then he crashes out the window. And then there's this immediate cut where you see this dummy that they stole from the set of a super Dave Osborne special. That's just sort <laughs> of like flailing in the wind as it you know flip flops to the ground well then why did you even have the stunt man do this amazing stunt if you were just gonna you know shit all over it with this awful dummy yeah just wanted to see it <laughs> i guess we we cut to the very last scene of the movie which is sharky wearing a signature bandit red shirt and he's pushing children on the swing outside of his dead parents house and then roll credits. From the moment he gets thrown out the window to credits rolling is what? 15 seconds? Maybe. Like this shot of him playing with kids, like the, the movie wisely gets away from that as quick as possible. It's it, like, it, roll credits, roll credits. It, it feels like the end of one of the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. Or, you know what I mean? Like, like everything about it is just, it looks dirty and gross and he shouldn't be around children. We never see any follow-up on what happened with Domino, what happened with well, him. Well, she's there too. She's on one of the swings. Oh, was she? Yeah, and it's because uh, you know that the pr- the proposition there was, hey, you want to go to that school next door and play with the kids? And she was like, of course I do. You know, one of those kids later in their lives, like Ain't in college, they were just like, you know something crazy? Like, yeah, I got a, I got a crazy. Story. When I was in, uh, when I was in third grade during recess, I used to go out and, uh, uh, this guy who was a cop would push me on the swing and, uh, his, his, uh, prostitute girlfriend who, uh, later died of AIDS, she would sit in the swing next to me. That's that's a weird story, isn't it? Thousand dollars a night. He uh, he kept saying <laughs> it was it was weird that he told me that. Even at the time, it seemed weird. I think it was bragging. So, and I remember when Trevor went missing, <laughs> and we would see a kid next door that looked a lot like Trevor, but he wasn't allowed to go to school. So he wore dresses and a wig. He was twelve. That's a weird age that you would abduct a kid. Anyway. So, <laughs> so that's, that is Sharky's machine, um, in all of its, uh, glory. I don't think that I have any, any parting thoughts. I, I both wholly do not recommend anyone ever see this movie. And at the same time, I think everybody should see this movie. You got to go through the, the looking glass on this one. Like you got to get over the fact that it's like a shitty cop drama because it doesn't make any sense and, and it has terrible characters and all that. Actually, some fun side characters, but Sharky himself is just a non-entity in the film. Like, there's nothing heroic or noble or anything that he ever does. He doesn't learn anything. <laughs> no. He doesn't grow. He doesn't do anything. He's just he's just kind of there. So, you know what? If you want to see it, great. If you don't, then, then we're okay with that, too. We have one uh, final installment in this particular season 
Uh, Bo, would you care to uh, give a lead in to, to what's going to be coming up in episode six? Yeah. Uh, appropriately enough, episode six is entitled The End, a dark comedy that pokes good-natured fun at both terminal and mental illness. And, and suicide. Don't forget sh- that. Eh, I think you can lump that under mental illness. But yeah, suicide's a real, real big part of it. Yeah, there's a lot of returning characters. I think it's fitting because it's sort of the laughing uh, cornucopia of Reynolds regulars. It's a real bad movie. It not only stars Burt Reynolds, uh, he directed this motion picture. As you mentioned, it is really a a who's who of... You're going to see people from episodes one through five showing up in this film. Dom DeLuise, Sally Field, Paul Williams. It's really just a complete and total mess. And knowing uh, the, the ins and outs of it, it's probably the best representation of this entire season. Yeah, I think it's it will be a fitting send-off, a Viking funeral, if you will, of Turn Ferguson. So until then, we will leave everyone with uh, bated breath and, and heightened sense of enhanced patience. So we will leave it at that until uh, the next episode where we will be talking about the end. <laughs>